lying in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot and a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars scats. Wish I had a million dollars. Wish I had a million albums. Wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish the help was like it's like. I wish, I wish that every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we love and it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels. I wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming speed. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lime bean. I wish that I could spread my wings. I wish that I had seven limbs. Yeah, that way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dímelo, dímelo. At least I kinda understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets. Yeah. I wish I was an astronaut. I wish I knew more classic rock. <laughs> Focused on myself. You can't help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish I. Can you guys hear me now? I'm having some mic issues. I just unplugged. You guys can hear me now. Okay, something's going on. I think I might have um, damaged my mic cord. Let me just try one more time plugging my phone back into the unit. Bear with me one second. this for a second and I'm going to see if I have I think I have a backup cord um, I very weirdly I had rolled over I noticed when I went to plug this in that was like under a wheel of one of my chairs and I think like I might have gotten crushed and is no longer functioning but I think I have a backup anyway this is not very interesting to the likes of you you have not called in to hear about all of my technical problems. Um, we had an interesting episode today that was very timely. I didn't exactly expect it to be an opportunity to talk about all the Twitter stuff that was ongoing, but I've been wanting to talk to Evan for a while about these this legislation that is going to be decided this week, the likelihood of its passing and what it could actually do to help 
preserve some of the internet protections that Elon Musk said he was interested in preserving, but has done the exact opposite. I'm sure a lot of people have thoughts about all of the Michigas that went down over the weekend. So let's hear from you, Chris, what's on your mind? Chris? Chris, I see you're unmuted, but for some reason I can't hear you. Hello? Can, can anybody else hear Chris? Oh, they can't hear Chris either. Okay. All right, Chris, get back in the queue. Let's see if it's a you issue or an app issue. Antonio, what's on your mind? Hello? Ah, okay. So it's not an app issue. Antonio, I can hear you. What's on your mind tonight? Hi there. Third time's the charm, first time caller. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Welcome, yeah. Antonio. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm very glad to finally get to talk and just, uh, uh, you know, discuss with you. I've been a fan for a very long time and happy to have the opportunity. Oh, I'm um, so glad that you made it. And I'm, I'm glad that um, we're not completely foiled by this damn app. What's on your mind tonight? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, to be honest, I didn't really listen to much of this week's episode, but um, I always just feel like on Twitter, it's just always just some new information being just like pushed at you every single second that like you blink and suddenly this thing with Elon Musk pretty much melting down in front of everybody is just like, it's just so sudden. You're like, wait a minute, I was just thinking about something else a day ago. So it's all like, it's all like trying to like catch up and keep up at pace. But um, tell me I, about it. Imagine how I feel. These people out here expect me to keep up with every goddamn thing. Yeah. I, <laughs> I have a life. Yeah. I, yeah. I just feel like, I just feel like it's almost like, at some points, I feel like sometimes Elon is trolling people mm-hmm. sometimes because he knows of his ability to kind of just stir people's emotions. And I don't know. I, I feel like sometimes he's playing a game with everybody. He's playing a game with like, you know, people that he knows will 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 disagree with him. Like he already knows that from the jump. So he wants to like, you know, you know, ban people and then unban people. And he just wants to like trigger an emotion and. I did listen briefly to today's episode about, I guess, the need to have, like, the the desire to have, like, an independent, um, like, social media outlet where people are not necessarily, you know, going to be up for getting banned, you know, randomly because, you know, you said one thing that the people in charge didn't necessarily like. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's kind of, that's important, but I also think at the same time, when I look at like the social media outlets as a whole, like they're all like owned by people who don't really, who say that they care about freedom of expression, but in reality, it's almost like it's just an extension of their insecurities and their needs to just, you know, I don't know, appear in everybody's business because that's kind of what social media does in a sense. It kind of like continues relationships that weren't necessarily supposed to exist but then, like, because, like, you're in the need to have somebody else's life all the time, it's, like, almost, it's almost, like, um, I don't know. I guess it's, like, over, it's an over-surveillance, in a sense. Um, do you think that the, the, the poll that he did was planned? Like, do you think he's intending to maybe go along with it? I don't know. Hello? Oh. Ooh, plug would work. Apparently, it does not, which is, like, truly mystifying. But um, that's the last I'll try of that. So so what does that mean mean to you? Like, say say that's correct. 
um, that he's just trolling. Some people's position is that, okay, this is, he's a troll, he's trolling, he's a mastermind, he doesn't care about the hypocrisy, the hypocrisy is the point, he's bringing comedy back to Twitter, he's an evil genius. What, what is the, what is the point? What is the point of the troll? What is the objective here? I just think it's to stroke his own ego by just, you know, by just making millions of people feel angry over the fact that he has this power to basically alter people's days and uh, perceptions. And yeah, maybe that doesn't necessarily mean anything, I don't know, uh, legislative wise or, you know, anything material, but perhaps like the breakdown of like a mental psyche or a sense of dependency that like, you know, you can't stand to, to um, being around Elon, but you can't not want to know what he's going to do next, that it will affect you in some sort of, uh, I don't know, I guess like mental manner. Um, I don't know if I'm making sense there, but I'm just, you know, I'm just throwing words around. I guess my, my issue is that like, what's been very frustrating for me to watch is that there is not a single, I mean, I won't say a single, because frankly, Barry Weiss has mm-hmm. been honest about this in a way that has been frankly refreshing. But a lot of other people, including people I like a lot and respect a lot and who have been very consistent on free speech in the past, are refusing, refusing to engage with the reality that Elon Musk is not improving the app. Yeah. Like, I, like, you can say what you want. Say I, I, I'm not dis, I'm not discounting that there are valuable disclosures in the Twitter files. I'm not mm-hmm. discounting any of that. I don't I don't have some personal vendetta against Elon Musk. They're all trying, but the, like you can't. If your concern was that there was wanton banning of people and deplatforming of people and shadow banning of people before, that was a legitimate concern. I share that concern with you, even if you were on the far right. That is a legitimate concern. I am not mm-hmm. someone who's been inconsistent or hypocritical, right? So when now Elon Musk is behaving in this insane way where he literally says one week, I will never ban the Elon Jets account. And then uh, three weeks later, oh, I'm banning the Elon Jets account. Coming up with these insane, very personal rationales for why he's doing it. My, my lost a child. My kid was under threat. I, I, my, my um, uh, people, people uh, faked my account. You know, mm-hmm. you know, Kanye West made life uncomfortable for me. Like, none of this is reasonable. Nothing Kanye did, I mean, substantively deplorable, yes, but nothing Kanye did violated the terms and conditions. So you can't look at all of that and say, oh, yeah, it's okay that Elon is doing exactly what the, the old regime did that was bad because it's, it's a good laugh. You know, mm-hmm. we're in charge now. Eat it, libs. What if, what if those of us who weren't libs? who authentically were willing to ally with you on some level with right-wingers on getting improvements to Twitter because we sincerely have a belief in some of the free speech principles being applied to this important platform. Everybody, including, I got to say, I really hope to have my friend Glenn on soon because, like, like, there's almost nobody who's willing to engage with the reality that Elon Musk isn't doing what Elon Musk said he would do. Not what I said or any lib wanted or anything else. He is not holding himself up to his own standards. And it's irritating because someone needed to actually fix Twitter. This wasn't just about owning somebody. Like, I, I'm, I am an adult. I'm not five years old. I don't care who gets owned. Jesus Christ. Someone needs to fix Twitter, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I understand that. 
I, I wonder like why some people haven't, like you were saying that some people like, I guess free speech advocates haven't necessarily like stood up against Elon, but other people like Barry Weiss did, which is a surprise in itself. Um, yeah. I think it just has to do with the fact that maybe they kind of want that power of their own too. Maybe they weren't as necessarily free speech advocates as they were, as they, as they perceived themselves to be. Maybe that's just something they haven't publicly disclosed. Um, but um, yeah, that, that's, that's what I think in regards to that. Uh, I wanted to say that I really, cause I didn't get to talk last week about um, yay and the discussion you had with Mark Lamont Hill. Mm-hmm. That was, that was really great. And I'm glad that you got him on um, because, you know, I always feel like with this, with the, with the black Jewish discourse, you know, there's this, there's this righteous anger that the black American community that, that I, that, you know, we all have in regards to our interactions with, you know, the Jewish American community. And it sucks that Ye has to be the unfortunate, indirect, sad representative of this perceived underlying layer of, um, of like this black Jewish tension that has existed for decades mm-hmm. um, that if anyone who was outside our community didn't understand then, I'm sure they're maybe understanding now. And, you know, to me, yay is just nothing more than just regurgitating white Christian nationalist talking points, never mentions anything about Israel or Palestine. So that kind of already tells me everything that I need to know about him. And, um, and, you know, so I just, I just, you know, oh, I was going to say, I think enough, a person for a future discussion on Black Jewish relations that would be really great would be um, Dr. Jared Ball. Um, if, Why do I know that? Why do well, I know that name? Well, here's the thing. So a couple weeks ago, so Dr. Jared Ball, he's a professor at Morgan State University. He had this book known as The Myth of Black Buying Power. Him and I were on a panel on Fox Soul last October. and um, And so basically he has a podcast and he was a guest on some other podcast and he the guest had mentioned you and he Mm -hmm. said no he's like you know actually um i'm maybe paraphrasing here he's like actually brianna's people um you know reached out to me and i said i would be interested but then when i said i would be interested they didn't hear anything back so that's oh no i remember this guy Mm -hmm. because someone someone else suggested him and i reached out to him and i think i just lost track yeah, he's black and Jewish. Back, actually. Yeah, he's black and Jewish. So maybe, you know, he's definitely a, a person to talk to and to try to, you know, to try to like really, he really breaks down a lot of his experiences as a black American and a Jewish American. And um, which I didn't know he was until two weeks ago. Um, but, you know, it's I think he'd be a really great guest and, um, you know, definitely for sure. Okay, great. I'm adding that to the chat uh and mm-hmm. you might have noticed <laughs> i'm sorry to my notes to myself to my um slack channel to myself that i keep so that i don't forget all of the insightful suggestions that you guys make i also managed to figure out my soundboard which for some reason audio channel three is working even though audio channel one and two are not so i'm sure everybody is very excited about that development <laughs> lol um and i i'm glad that you called in antonio yeah. and i'm yeah, gonna follow up with jared ball I appreciate you. Thank you so much. And I'll talk again soon with you. All right. Keep the faith. Keep faith. All right, Chris. Sorry about that. Let's see if this is working now. What's on your mind tonight? Can you hear me now? Yes. Loud and clear. Yeah. I have no idea what happened. Um, I think 
I just went down to the basement and the next thing you know, everything like went like black. So I was like, oh, great. So I just got out of the app again and just started like trying to start over. No, I heard. I'm glad you made it. Oh, great, 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 great. Uh, man. One, I've been struggling trying to find these goddamn on Christmas, these last minute Christmas gifts. <laughs> and it's like stressing me out right now. Oh my gosh. Like, I don't know um, what he said. <laughs> Somebody else is on the line. Antonio for having Israel and Palestine his litmus test. Antonio, wait, how is Antonio still coming through? What on earth? Yeah, hey, what's up, Antonio? Hey. What up, yo? How you doing, bro? <laughs> yo! <laughs> you want to tag oh team this God. one? Oh, my God. Yeah, so we can tag team this one. This is fun. Like, <laughs> I, even if I tried to kick Antonio out, I don't think I can right now. I, I don't even see him. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's not in the queue. So this I is know. just an honor system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's going on today. But, man, oh, uh, yeah, as far as that that Christmas message, I, like, I've got most of it done, though, but, like, I'm to the point now where it's, like, I got to, like, um, I, I saw this post on uh, Facebook, and it was basically, like, you know, stop stop trying to track that package. It's in God's hands now. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm pretty, that's pretty much me. I'm like, oh, fuck. So. so. So who do you have left to shop for? So I have my mom. And then I have my brother. I want to get him something else because he was lame. He asked for like a t-shirt. And I'm like, come on, you can get something a little better than a t-shirt. But well, look at that's the what man he asked wants for. A t-shirt. I mean, yeah, though, but you know, I kind of asked for like an expensive gift, and then you don't feel bad when you ask for like an expensive gift, and then someone asks for like a $45 t-shirt, and it's like, oh. Okay. <laughs> I mean, well, that I is a lot for else. a t-shirt. <laughs> it is a lot for a t-shirt. It really is. Especially if you want to get that like advanced shipping and everything too. So mm-hmm. maybe it was like $60. So maybe I shouldn't feel too bad, but I just mm-hmm. wanted something with him. Well, I just wanted to get him, and then my mom's gift. I'm waiting for that in the mail. So, like I said, hopefully, hopefully. Okay, so you've ordered your mom's gift. It just hasn't. Yeah, no, I tried. Yeah, so I ordered uh, my mom's gift, and then I barely got my brother, my other brother's gifts too. Like that one, I went to the stores for because I figured I probably had better luck than just trying to pray for everything to come in in the mail and everything. So I was. I mean, honestly, it sounds like you're all over it. It Sounds like you've got everything ordered. The only issue is that it might come a little bit late. But you know, you can finesse that. You can get a nice card, put like a picture of the gift in it, you know, <laughs> fluff it up. Like I, I do a lot of hand drawn cards. You could draw the gift. People love when you do them a little hand drawn dealio. Get a little yeah. supplemental something, something, a little box of chocolate or something to hold them over until the gift arrives. Oh gosh, yeah, no, um, I'm not a creative person like that. So yeah, I don't, I'm like like hand cards or writing things from the heart. That's not, you know, yeah, that's not really me. I'm just more of a straight up kind of like. So what you want? Okay, I'll see if I can get it. Okay, but Chris, you know that's what they want. My mother every year is like, Brianna, like, if you would just make me one of your beautiful cards and paint me one of your pictures, that's all uh-huh. I want. And I'm like, you're talking about me doing 20 hours of work. <laughs> so I would much rather throw money at this problem. Thank you. <laughs> like, are you serious right now? Oh, it's, it's okay. You don't have to do much. Just just spend 40 hours on an oil painting. That's all. That's all I really like from you. You paint? I used to. Oh, I mean, I didn't know you was creative. In a different life. In a different life. Oh, okay. In, now in, you... a, in a in a different life, when the air smelled sweeter, oh. and my muscles had a pluck to them that they haven't in many a year. <laughs> <laughs> you are you're making sounding getting older very depressing. 
right now i'm just saying like uh, my friends we just sit on the app we just text each other and look at little pictures and i'm like didn't it used to be didn't new york used to feel different didn't the air used to, to hit different <laughs> yeah when we was young and you know we had time we used to like go out you know like hey let's go to the bar now we all just like saddled with like work yes and, literally and literally kids. i was talking to one of my friends who was a grad student until this fall and i was like remember when we used to like just go to baltimore and hang out you used to go to baltimore they he, they live in Baltimore. Oh, okay. so I was like, remember we should just like go to a drive through. Like remember, remember when like because my schedule is irregular, right? I uh-huh. have rising in the morning, and then I'm like done by like eleven thirty, and then sometimes I have an interview to record after that, but mostly I'm just writing my radar for the next day. <laughs> so it's like technically like I can I can meet up for lunch, you know? I can yeah. I, I have like a flexibility. You know, and before back then, like before I started rising, like the world was mine. <laughs> you know, like uh, uh, what's that show? What? No, never mind. I never watched that show, so I don't even want to make that comparison. You can I, mean, I would st- I would stay up late. I would go on three hour runs in the middle of the day. That's why I was in such good shape before I started rising. These days, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I it, like, got, I'm sorry. Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, when you say running, I was like, I got on a treadmill today and my knees are like throbbing. Like, I was like, this sucks. Like, this is what like, I'm saying. I, yeah, this is just like sad and depressing. It, it is like ah, mortality, right? And I don't even think it's about getting older per se. It's just that things keep changing. Yeah. And I guess there was a certain point at which I thought, okay, I've, you know, graduated high school, college, grad school. Like, those are the milestones. I, I expect life to change if one were to get married or have kids. But otherwise I thought like, well, this is just, this is just the status quo. And like year after year, it's going to be substantially the same unless something big happens, but that's not actually the case. Like 2020 felt like such a different animal than 2021, 2021 in my memory looms as this really amazing year because in comparison to 2020, I felt so free. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i felt yeah. like i had just got out of a a long sentence term and the air smelled sweet and every date i went on felt fantastic because the bar was low i was just happy to be talking to somebody <laughs> and sit in the same space as another human being i was like i was so excited about life in 2021 i was going on these like runs baseball? i was snatched I baseball baseball was awesome oh my god we should go watch go to a baseball game yeah let's go to a baseball game this right is awesome. this is fun right yeah. i'm not going and- to any baseball games this year um, you know what I'm saying? It's winter. I don't know. Let me stop. Let me stop griping. Okay, for yeah, absolutely. I, I no did reason. have one. Yeah, my fault. I did have one. Uh, one question because I didn't catch the show today. Like I said, I was out and trying to get these gifts and everything. But um, what did you t- did you see like the um the GOP's Twitter account like post about like sixty percent of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck? I did see and that. that, and everyone that was like, is "And what? Funny. What you gonna do about it?" <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I was like, I was kind of like waiting for like a response. So like, uh, are they going to add something to that? Or are they right. just saying something? I guess we all know. Cause I was like, do you guys finally have a plan or something to address it? And then like, I guess the libs kind of completely took that over now. So it's like, I don't really see like a response to anything, but it still was just weird. It was like, Oh, okay. So maybe you might actually get some kind of policy from them to address things like this. Maybe. I don't know. Like I like I said, the, this realignment is equal parts exciting and alarming. 
Because if it meant there's some real competition for working class votes, it'd be you know, awesome. on, on sincere grounds, hallelujah. Mm-hmm. It's good for America. If it just means weird posturing that could leg- legitimately steal votes from Democrats because Democrats are legitimately terrible, but it just means more <laughs> nothingness. You know, then we have to go through a whole other 40 year cycle where everyone realizes that the Republicans actually are full of shit. Can we just pivot off of both of these fools into another party? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's probably the other half. It's just them posturing. But, I mean, you hear things like, you know, they talk about the idea of, you know, like family, you know, you know, they're big on like the whole like family values thing. But it's kind of I think they're realizing now um, as far as like families, the reason why people aren't having families is because they can't afford it. Right. And I think that's kind of like somewhat happened. And it's like, maybe that could be like a little bit of a realignment. It was like, well, maybe we can't have everyone paycheck to paycheck or just these systematic cogs in the machine. They yeah. have a life and stuff like that. But, you know, that, of course, that's just hopeful thinking. That really is. Hopeful maybe thinking. look, maybe they also looked around and saw in a way that the Democrats don't seem to be really picking up on that they that they have some inroads with the Latino vote that they can't mess around and are trying to investigate why Bernie was so successful and thinking, okay, you got to at least do some little lip service to some of these more working class issues. That's my optimistic read that they actually, (laughs) there's some (laughs) principle underlying this instead of just a troll, but I don't know. I had to double check though when I saw that tweet, I was like, are we doing the thing again where it's all the mock accounts? Yeah. Yeah. Elon's Twitter blue whatever that new stuff is that is like the worst idea he ever had because like you just see it like I guess like everyone focused on the blue check and now everyone so it's like oh this is some shit guy with a shit opinion but he paid eight dollars for it so it's like it's it's annoying so I I pay I've been paying for Twitter blue for over a year now it was cheaper before this new iteration because Mm -hmm. before it was something that was available to I think you had to have a certain number of followers but it's that you could post longer videos so mm-hmm. I, I've been not wanting to be constrained to two minutes and 20 seconds. And so I've been posting longer videos. I think since I joined rising, especially I've been wanting to post lo- larger hunks of radars than I ordinarily would be allowed. Mm-hmm. So just actually a few days ago, I went to post, it was probably for Thursday's episode. I went to post the clip and, uh, it wouldn't let me and it made and forced me to like resubscribe to Twitter blue. Mm-hmm. And I was irritated because I thought that maybe those of us who were already paying were, were going to be grandfathered in. But no, it, it forced me off and I literally couldn't yeah. uh, post at all. So, like, I don't know. It's like it's like a weird thing. Like, I I think it's a perfectly reasonable service, except for he made it into this weird status symbol instead of just paying yeah. for services. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what. It, yeah. It, it, it turned into. Yeah. This is like a status thing than it, than it was anything else. And I think that kind of like really took away from like some of the magic, I guess, from Twitter. But I mean, I'm not a blue check and, you know, I'm not very not I'm not verified. So, you know, I don't really know. Not yet, Chris. Not yet. You know what? I like it. I like your way. Of not yet. Soon. One of my shit opinions is going to blow me up and I'm going to get like 10,000 followers. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Chris. It's always good to hear from you. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, and um, um, if you uh, if you ever do come back to Baltimore, not Baltimore, uh, oh you should check goodness. out. <laughs> you should check out this um um this brunch bar called Homemade. It's uh it's by Fells Point, and they do really good food. Homemade. They're French. Yeah, homemade. Uh, H O E M. 
and then made, but like mm-hmm. made, I like got actual you. made. Yeah. Where did you say it was? It's in uh, Fells Point. So Fells right Point. in the harbor. Yeah. That's like okay. the harbor and the water and everything like yeah, that. Yeah, I think my uncle lives over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But check that place out. They do really good. Their French toast is bomb. Everything is bomb. But check okay. that out. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks for the recommendation, Chris. No problem. All right. Keep the faith. Okay. I'm going to hop around a little bit. I'm coming back to the front. You know, I cheat to the front, but I'm going to just do a little bit of a scan for who's in the queue this evening. Shawnee. That looks like a, a newish name. I haven't seen around. What's on your mind? See, I might have caught Shawnee off guard. Are you with us, Shawnee? Shawnee was probably in the back thinking, I've got a clean 90 minutes before I have to be ready. I'm sorry, Shawnee. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have put you on the spot. If you get back in the queue, I'll come back for you later. Okay. Isaac, you're up. What's on your mind? Hey, can you hear me? Loud and clear. Sweet. Uh, were you aware that the facial hairstyle commonly referred to as a goatee is actually called a circle beard? According to who? <laughs> According to the internet. Absolutely not. Who calls it that? A circle beard? Yeah. That, no, that's like the actual thing. A goatee is like what a goat has. It's just like a chin spike. Okay. No, no, no. You can't like, you can't just like say a thing is called a thing when nobody calls it that thing. I I agree 100%. I'm just letting people know. Also, Isaac, have you Googled circle beard? Because what I'm looking at is not a goatee. What I'm looking at is a crime against humanity. Do you know, have you seen these pictures? (laughs) It's someone who has a haircut where it's like a chin strap along the beard and then their head is shaved down bald except for at the very front perimeter along the hairline. So it's a circle of hair that goes across the forehead, all the way down along the sides, into the chin strap of the beard, and up the other side. That's what I get okay. when I Google circle beard. <laughs> no, I, I think I see that one guy's wearing a white shirt. No, I, okay, I see one guy with a goatee. Okay, and I see Common. Okay, like, and I see, you know, the, uh, Brian Cranston and Will Smith. But, like, additionally... I see things I wish I hadn't. Are you seeing this? I Okay, here's the thing. Like your guest recommended, I'm actually on DuckDuckGo. And oh, so you're being lied to by Big DuckDuck. Yeah, 100%. Because <laughs> they do sell your data. It's just randomized. See, these these search algorithms, look, I, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to like, poop all over DuckDuckGo. Evan is so much more knowledgeable about these things, and I'm sure, you know, they're completely right about how I should be using that and not Google, which I'm sure is selling my soul into 15 lifetimes down into the future in a way that I can't even anticipate. However, when I try to use other search engines, it is such an affront to my system. Like, it's it's like being used to breathing air and, and working with Earth's gravity, and now suddenly I'm on Jupiter and my legs feel like lead. I'm sorry, I'm having a bit of a dog situation, and he has decided to chew his bone on my soundboard. Down. down. Okay, I'm sorry. It's just, it's too much. It's too much. I mean, I, 
I mean, have you noticed that? I mean, I've never actually used DuckDuckGo, but like the Yahoo experience has put me off the idea. I mean, do you really find it to be useful? Because in, in Yahoo search, I'll search like, I'll search, um, let's say I want to know who's the, who, who was, who was vice president in 1945? And it will give me like vice president pizza chain has a night, a dollar pizza, uh, you know, pizza price at 1945. Like it's it's like nonsensical. Wait, and that's on Yahoo? Yes, I'm telling you. You guys know you guys do do you not remember when I had this horrible Yahoo bug for like a year after the Bernie campaign? And every time I rebooted my computer, it would default me to Yahoo, and then I'd be trying to Google things in the middle of an episode and it would give me the craziest results. That's terrible. Yeah. It's one of the first things that I do when I put in a new browser, like get a new uh, computer or something is just like erase Yahoo from the possible search engines. Okay, I look. I'm open to trying DuckDuck because I want to listen to what Evan is saying. I also want to try Mastodon, even though I got to tell you, I'm profoundly both lazy and weirdly attached to Twitter. I was just doing uh, I interviewed someone today for Thursday's episode, and we were talking about how Twitter means something to us, like people have worked to build platforms and relationships and a sense of community on Twitter. I can never recreate the people that I follow that make my feed as good and enriching as it is for me on some other app. And like half the people I follow are completely anonymous. I'm not going to be able to just search them by name or something. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. And yeah, the way yeah, I mean, some, some folks are so flippant about like, we'll just start again. It's like, well, no, that's like saying like you raised my ancestral homeland and now I'm just going to rebuild somewhere else. I mean, it's not quite like saying that, but you know what I mean? It feels like that. I mean, it feels, it feels, it's an, it's an analogy. <laughs> I mean, okay. It's your ancestral homeland, but you also have like hundreds of thousands of people with you. Yes. And I, I follow a lot of, like that's some a people. a lot of people. I follow a lot of people. Some people will try to keep their like follower to follow ratio small or something, but I follow everyone who's interesting. You know, I, I don't hesitate to click follow. I don't care about the size of accounts and stuff like that. So I would be really, I don't know. I would be really sad. Yeah. Yeah. He, I, I don't know about Mastodon that, that the way that he or they described it was like, uh, it sounded like, discord except like the discord servers are just like slightly connected yeah and i never really understood discord you guys know that our discord was up for just like a hot minute and i i had this silent issue where it's like what what it basically means is that everyone who would have muted or blocked me which is plenty of people would never even be in the same world as me and i also wouldn't know and i also wouldn't be able to see them so it's almost like a preemptive mass block. So like, put it this way. It seems to me that if you were like, if you were like Soledad O'Brien and, you know, Jake Tapper and, you know, establishment media figures and stuff, you would create your, um, whatever you call it, channel, whatever it's called, mm-hmm. and preemptively just like not let in Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss and whomever like you wouldn't even see those tweets and that feels to me like the antithesis of the point of twitter and like weirdly kind of dangerous can you guys hear this dog loudly chewing on this bone 
I don't hear anything. Okay. You're yeah, you're on thin ice, I, buddy. <laughs> anyway, um uh, Yeah, I don't uh, know. Yeah, the, the the actual reason that I called it them like a shitty icebreaker was uh just to I, I got stuck on one thing that your guest kept saying about like, you know, getting it out of corporate interests and all that jazz. Mm -hmm. And so I encourage people to look into uh, free and open source software because like way back when, prior to the King IP pervert, Bill Gates, like sued the shit out of everyone to make software a private thing. It used to be something that was communal and like everybody kind of slowly built on it together it, like if you know Linux, like everything used to be that way. I I, I confess that I, I struggle a little bit sometimes to understand that stuff conceptually. I mean, is the it? I mean, so like there. If you're telling me that, okay, if the stuff were all public, publicly sourced, what does that mean? Is that because here's 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 what I'm really getting at? Sometimes it feels like when people talk about this stuff, there's a trade off between accessibility and like regular normies being able to use it. So they'll be like, "Oh, DOS is great because I can do my little equations and make things happen." But for most of us, like we're never going to be able to use that, so it doesn't like it's it's useless to us. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, once you start doing any sort of technical talk it loses a lot of people because most people are just plug and play well have you have you used any of these alternatives to twitter so i don't use twitter and i haven't looked into the alternatives uh, so i'm coming at it from a little bit of a different angle um in terms of just like the software that you use uh like what's out there versus what's popular yeah. Yeah. Well, look, let me know if any of that changes and if you have any, you know, advice for us trying to navigate these waters. I it it's hard cuz it it's more than just getting the popular buy-in. It's it it's also the moderation who's in charge. You know, you talked about that in the episode. I mean, that's the thing. Like it's legitimately hard. I'm not mad at Elon and I wouldn't be mad at I mean, whoever, Jack or whoever before, sometimes you're a good faith actor, but decisions are hard and you make the wrong call. Like, I'm not, I'm not, somebody was accusing me online of like, you know, I'm, I respect Elon for realizing his mistakes and realizing that he should unban people. And like, you shouldn't make fun of him for retracting when he was able to own his mistake. He didn't, he didn't own a mistake. He got threatened by the EU, like, legal system in for for viol potentially violating antitrust laws for saying you couldn't link to any other websites like that's what happened and he was subject to a huge fine but essentially subject to an enormous fine and so he backtracked he's done this before this isn't a good faith actor realizing oopsie daisy it's someone who was not thoughtful who disbanded however imperfect it was disbanded the only internal board for trying to figure out what content moderation strategy should be, fired his general counsel, and is is making decisions based off of Twitter polls and what his feelings tell him, what offends him personally. Like that is not progress on the meme. 
unless you happen to be Elon Musk or like weirdly one of his simps. I'm sorry, guys. Like some of you like wanting what Elon Musk said he was going to do is completely legitimate. I wanted a lot of that, too. But the way that there's some folks that are ideologically like they just love this person, like you sound as crazy as a lib talking about how wonderful Obama or whatever is. If you're if you're if you're valorizing Elon Musk in that way, like you sound that corny, it's corny to put anybody in a pedestal like that, especially someone who just is like, in my humble opinion, demonstrating very little to admire these days. That's all I'm saying about Elon Musk. I'm sorry. I guess that makes me a huge lib to not like the guy who's completely turned heel on all of his promises and commitments to actually getting free speech on this app. No, he's a, he's a huge piece of shit and always has been. Did you <laughs> see the thing recently about uh, what the actual truth behind the boring company? No. What's, what do you, what's the actual truth? So the, the whole thing was he was, like, revolutionizing whatever he's, like... Oh, the underground tunnel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, And then yeah. It, it turns out that, like, it's been, you know, four or five years and everybody just forgot about it. And right. it was completely just set aside. <laughs> yeah. And he never actually did anything. Yeah. He, he lied about his college, like, where he actually graduated from school and his engineering background. He had a lot of money. Oh, he really? bought some successful, successful companies. And I'm not going to say that he didn't probably make some good decisions along the way that helped those companies to grow. Like, I'm not trying to take anything away from the man, but he is a fraud. Like He's yeah. substantially a fraud. And yet, like you see the people who are simping for him after he brought out this stupid robot earlier this year, they were like, Oh, look at how advanced <sighs> it is. Even though it was like years behind anything else. It was yeah. He's basically like you know when they bring out like a human in a robot suit <laughs> to like yes yes. <laughs> I mean the, they just ask the man to do track. some simple like math or engineering equations in public and see what happens. Because I mean honestly, it's like that level, and I don't need that from him, right? Like that's fine. He can do his little grift. It doesn't bother me. Like make your Teslas, buy your Teslas. None of that bothers me. That's none of my business. But Twitter is my home. <laughs> And you yeah. said you seem to identify a problem that I agree with as a problem, and now you just lied. And people won't even be honest about that, and it's making me insane. Also, the Tesla truck is your business and your problem. It's society's problem. Well, to the extent that it's running people over. And just existing. <laughs> Wait, so what, is, what is the Tesla truck as opposed to just the regular Tesla? Just look up a picture of the Tesla truck. I have All described right, it Google as... This. Like, let me get the circle beards off my computer and Google this <laughs> Tesla truck. I'm so sorry for tainting your search history. <laughs> Cyber truck. It doesn't look like a he truck. Even, well, and he even, like, uh, part of the pitch... It's been coming out for, like, years... Um, but part of the pitch recently, he was like, if you drive it into the water, it functions as a boat for like 10 seconds. For 10 seconds? Something like that. It's just insane. Elon Musk is psychotic. Um, so it, which it looks, also... It looks, for those of you who aren't looking at it, like a... Kind of like a... It's silver like a DeLorean, but it's higher up off the ground with bigger wheels. 
But it's like if you drew, if you had a normal truck and drew a line from the top of the cab to the back of the truck compartment, and all of that was a straight line and covered. So there's no open chassis. Chassis? Is that what you call it? I don't know. I've never owned a truck. I don't drive. And so the back can flap open, and technically it it looks like a truck bed inside, but from the outside it doesn't look like a truck. And it's big and angular and silver in a way that a a person would draw a cartoon car from the future, which I guess is what all the boys want. Sorry to be. a transformer abortion. (laughs) Yeah, what he said. Uh, yeah, don't repeat that, kids. Uh, also, <laughs> the people who booed Elon Musk, I don't think that they were being good. I feel like it was just a bunch of tech bros in San Francisco who, like, he fucked with their stock portfolios. Sure. Sure. I mean, but that's that's also real, too, right? Like, the, the Tesla stock people turning on him on the Internet. The board members like checking him on um, inaccuracy of his tweets when he tried to blame uh, declining stock prices on the Fed. And and the board members were like, mm, no, that's not how that works. And you're being irresponsible. Like on Twitter. It's insane. And like, look, even if even if it's tech bros booing him from the audience because he costs them their jobs, like, yeah, like they should have been fired without notice and treated badly. Like their workers, too, they're, they're not high on my list. <laughs> Of, of, you know, it's a smaller violin for them, perhaps, but like, they're like, that's authentic. That's part of the audience. You don't get to pick and choose and say, I'm a winner because this self selected, you know, this little selective group of people that I chose for myself clap for me like a seal. You go out into the real world, and sometimes the things that you do have consequences. And he had to own that. Yes. He, it, it clearly hadn't occurred to either of them that anybody wouldn't, you know, be have a favorable opinion. And then, moreover, um, Dave Chappelle reading the room so poorly, which is not something that he usually does, where he doubled down on the idea of clap for him. He's rich. Hello, it's the richest person in the world. Clap. And then, oh, you're not clapping. It must be because you're poor. All the booze are coming from the yeah. poor seats. Like, come yeah, on, dude. From the nosebleed section. Right. Come so on. Bad. Like, Dave, uh. the, the thing is that you could tell on Dave Chappelle's face, he, he, he had the capacity to save it. He had the talent as a comedian to save that moment, but not with Elon tethered to him. So he could have thrown Elon under the bus and had the crowd back on his side, but his commitment to Elon meant that he was going to go down with the ship, right? Like there's, there's a, there's a plenty of jokes there and where he could have turned it on Elon and made Elon ask, answer some questions. Hey, Elon, did you make a bad move? This should be your crowd. We're in Silicon Valley. These should be your people. You know, what, what do you have to say to the people about, you know, their concerns? I mean, he he tried just barely by saying, like, this motherfucker wants to die on Mars. But that that was it. And then he went back to, you know, calling people poor. Yeah. But. Embarrassing. And then people still try to pretend like that didn't happen. I just, I, I have a hard time. There are celebrities that I don't especially like. There are celebrities that have done bad things that I would roundly condemn, but people still like them because they're talented or they're beautiful, you know, or they were in that one movie one time that they really liked and, or they're cool, you know, they get hot women or whatever. Like there's a, there's something that feels cool. 
Elon? I he, he I'm struggling to understand. He he owns the libs. He he's like a gamergate guy. He doesn't seem to be like there's something so insecure and self-conscious, almost vulnerable. The vulnerability almost makes me feel compassion for him, except for that he's so cruel to everybody else. Yeah, I don't it, it, like I don't get it. I don't get it. Jet, you know, Branson, Richard Branson, jet skis and stuff. That's kind of cool. You know, he's got cool guy, long hair. Like, that's kind of a vibe. You know, Jeff Bezos keeps his keeps his face, you know, keeps his business to himself, makes a lot of money. You know, seems to be something kind of I get that. He's got the kind of that um, bald millionaire evil genius thing going on. I, I get kind of admiring that empire you know i i don't like it i can understand it bill gates you know who doesn't love their iphone <laughs> you know like who doesn't love like their their basic computer pc technology steve jobs all of that i get it like i don't like it but i can understand it i'm struggling with the elon musk thing that's all i have to say about that uh, yeah but if you go back to Two decades, 25 years or so, like Bill Gates was the worst person and he is the worst person. Yeah, and totally. He, he continues to make things bad. But totally. Yeah. But at least like pe libs who are like they're dumb to fall for it. But to be people, when they articulate why they like Bill Gates, they're like, he's a genius. He came up with all this computer stuff. Plus, he gives malaria nets to the global south and he's the world's biggest humanitarian. All that's malarkey, obviously. But like there's a thing to say elon is right. like i'm a i'm like a stunted 12 year old boy who wants to go to the moon who will ignore all of the world's problems and people who are dying preventable deaths advocate aggressively for policies which worsen the conditions on planet earth because i am so fundamentally selfish that i plan not to be here when the shit goes down I'm going to build cars that cannot be controlled, lie about the autonomous function, have them murdering people in the streets, get all these government contracts to build bridges to nowhere, and still expect to be lauded by the public, on top of being just corny as hell. He can't dance. He has no swag. Like, I look, I'm not ever upset with someone for like trying to better themselves, beautify themselves. I'm not going to rag on anybody for plastic surgery or hair plugs or anything like that. Like, God bless. Do what you got to do. I want you to feel good about yourself. It's your money. It's your face. It's your hair. But to be so publicly sort of vulnerable to critique and then to be so cruel to other people, it just it feels like you're opening yourself up for being dunked on, dude. It's It's just so weird. He's so clearly vulnerable. I don't know why he keeps acting like he's some pugilist like no one's afraid of you apart from you being very very rich like i'm sure you could have anybody killed or whatever like but you as a human being you just still reek of this like try hard like you're 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 the cool kid you're the nerd who got money and is now like disappointed that people still aren't kissing your ass at high school prom do you ever do you remember yeah. romeo and michelle's high school reunion are you too young I, we're about the same age. Oh, okay, good. But I, I don't remember that. No, with Lisa Kudrow and what's her face, whose career got sidelined by Harvey Weinstein. We just, oh, what's Lisa her name? Kudrow, Mia. The one from 
friends. My well, Lisa Kudrow, yes, from Friends, and then the other one is a Mia Mia Servino. Thank you, Serene. Mia Servino, uh, who's also a nepotism case, and I don't mean to go down a thousand rabbit holes here, but you guys, we got to come back to this New York Magazine nepotism article that came out today because it is delicious. Anyway, in in that movie and the scene at the end at their high school reunion, there's this nerd kid who comes back, he's invented something like the glue to hold sneakers together or something ridiculous. It's made him super rich and he's legitimately cool and like nice and everybody loves him and they regret being mean to him. I think that that's the world Elon Musk sees for himself, but he's not nice. Like <laughs> the guy I know me and Michelle's high school reunion, he was nice. He was always a nice guy. He was nice to people in high school and he grew up and he was a nice guy that people could finally see because he had money, but fundamentally he was good the whole time. Yeah, Elon is not bad. All he has to do is be nice. And I would shut up. Just be nice. Uh, Try your hardest. Stand by your principles and be nice. And I'll shut up about all the dumbness about Mars and everything else. I'll shut up and let people have nice things. But his principles, he's, he's like actively trying to put other people down. Did you see the, like, when he, the first time that he got married, he told his wife like i'm the alpha in our relationship like oh, at Jesus their wedding because what alphas don't have to say that <laughs> well the rest of us know that <laughs> <laughs> and then there's elon musk who's just <laughs> out here doing what he does anyway i don't want to keep you any longer uh uh could i just have like a random guest suggestion please and this is coming from left field, but maybe hopefully palatable. Okay. Um, would be Oren Nimney. Oh, I love Oren. He's been on the podcast before, I'm pretty sure. He's been on Bad Faith? If he hasn't been, that's like such an oversight. Um, I just saw yeah, him I... a few weeks ago at uh, Vanessa. You know, I obviously know him from Current Affairs magazine. And we were both mm-hmm. at um, Vanessa AB's uh, first book, book talk which I um, Uh was the, I guess, I don't know what you call it, host, moderator, whatever, for. Um, And he's delightful, and I would love to have him on. I've been actually trying to get him on, now that I think about it, for an immigration episode. I want to have a big, like, what is the left's immigration stance? Because everyone, it's very easy to argue that whatever anybody else does is bad and wrong. But it's, if if you are still committed to this idea of borders, everything sounds bad, honestly. And if the left is willing to actually own the idea of being against borders, then we need to figure that out and talk it through because it's, you know, politically not an easy one. Um, yeah. That's how we get caricatured, characterized. But um, no one really wants to have that conversation because I think they they all know how difficult it is. So I'd love to get Oren, maybe Brianna Rennix, also from Current Affairs. I tried to get um, Angela Nagel on, which I know is a little spicy. Uh, just so you're aware, it's I think uh, Rennix transition. Oh, you're right. I'm so sorry. Did I? Sorry. My apologies. No, no, no. Yeah. Do they not go by Brianna anymore? No, I think that they changed to Adrian Renix. Oh, I didn't realize like right, that. Yeah, right before the current affairs exodus. Okay. All right. Uh, I'd love to get Adrian so Renix on and have that out because it's very difficult. Yeah. And I was suggesting Oren just because 
you two in the current affairs uh podcast like once upon a time i just felt like you two had like built on each other really well yeah i i i think he's just the sweetest i'm a big fan of Oren. it's ridiculous that we don't actually hang out more than that i think about it i need to cultivate him as one of my go-to dc friends because i have not been doing a good job at that all right well thank you i i like the suggestion i wrote it in my slack sweet thank thank you very much and uh keep the faith keep the faith isaac all right shawnee i'm coming back to you hi brie can you hear me loud and clear what's on your mind tonight oh yay okay (laughs) i was totally here before like in front of my computer even headphones on to try to get good audio and then I was so nervous, I made a newbie mistake. But I'm glad I did that now. It happens to the best of us. I'm glad you made it back up here. So what's on your mind? Me too. Um, well, you know, Brie, I like to think of myself as something of an OG fan of yours. Um, not quite, but I, I discovered Bad Faith when you did that first interview with Chris Hedges. And, oh, man, I have just been hooked ever since devouring your content um but this is the first time i've worked up the nerve to call in and actually talk to you so if you'll indulge me and just let me fangirl out here for a minute (laughs) um brie you are having i think the most important conversations on the left today and you're doing so with a nuance a compassion an honesty and an intellectual curiosity that I think is unparalleled in the media space. And your interviewing skills, like you're probably the best interview of our generation, I think. And while I agree with callers who've expressed concern about burnout and you should definitely do whatever you need to do to find balance, I hope you never stop because your voice is so powerful and your project is so important. So I first just wanted to say that. Um, And thank you you to say, I really do appreciate that. Yeah. Well, I mean it from the heart and it's my long winded way of saying long time listener, first time caller. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad you made it through. Me too. Um, So about today's episode, uh, just full disclosure, I deal with some pretty major social anxiety. So (laughs) this is a lot for me. I'll try to gather my thoughts. Take take your time. We're, you know, we're friends here. You've you've called in, you've listened. You know, this is a supportive group. Well, I've been a long time listener, as I say, but (laughs) first (laughs) I'm actually talking to you. Um, About today's episode, so I am deeply concerned with censorship and I am deeply concerned about the ability of corporate and political elites as well as it seems um, the security state to manipulate opinion and even control what issues are deemed important in the public consciousness a lot of the time. Um, So I enjoyed your conversation today. I I found it valuable, but I would have loved to hear uh, some of the more spectacular revelations of the Twitter files addressed in a more head-on way. Um, So Matt Taibbi has reported some things that have really floored me. Mm. Uh, He's talked about how the influence the FBI had over 
which voices were amplified and which were silenced was so pervasive that Twitter basically functioned as its subsidiary. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's talked about how when presented with evidence of Twitter suppressing the Hunter Biden laptop story, various Democratic Party officials responded by saying some things are more important than free speech. Um, and I'm deeply alarmed about these things. And I'm likewise alarmed at how the mainstream media has largely responded to all of this with a collective shrug. You know, they're, they're presented with these things and their reaction is nothing to see here, uh, boring, not newsworthy. By the way, Matt Taibbi also sucks. Mm. Um, so I, I worry that, and I often worry that by targeting repulsive figures that say clearly despicable things like Trump or certain leaders of the trucker convoy protest, the censorship apparatus of big tech and the ruling class is normalizing itself. And the upshot is that we find ourselves in this bizarre reality whereby many on the left are cheering the erosion of free speech and whether they realize it or not, probably not, um, the security state. And I worry because I dream of a day when a Shama Sawant-like figure takes the country by storm and catches on like wildfire. And because like you, I dream of a day when leftists achieve something as, I'm sorry, impressive as the truckers in Ottawa did shutting Mm -hmm. down a major city and dealing a multi-million dollar hit to the economy. But for things like UBI and meaningful climate action, and I say that as someone who grew up in Ottawa and have many family members who live there now, by the way, uh, I guess I worry because I don't trust the people pulling the strings. So when, if it would, those heady days of progressive revolution ever come, I am under no illusions that the censorship and opinion manipulation machine won't be mobilized against us. And I think that by applauding or sometimes even demanding the suppression of people and ideas that we don't like or that we might rightly find repulsive, the pro-censorship left is paving the way for that. Yeah, (laughs) that's about all I've got to say about that. Yeah, I mean, so look, I I agree. I haven't had a chance to look at whatever the pieces that dropped. What was it last night or this morning? Um, What I know there's been, but like what seven total? How many Twitter file drops have there been so far? I don't think I've looked at the Michael Schellenberger ones yet. That's fair. I think there have been six. And you know, full disclosure. I got a, a 14 month old at a full-time job. So I'm certainly, you know, not as, as keyed in as I, I could be. The, the things I was talking about there, that's actually from the first disclosure, I believe that came out last week. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've, we've talked, I mean, we've talked about it a great deal on rising. I did one of my radars last week about Matt Tamey getting smeared. Um, so, you know, I, I think that there have been a lot of other leftists I've seen, Bronco March to teach and a lot of kind of Jacobin kind of related folks concerned about the lack of mainstream media attention here. And I've also seen them 
take much more principled stands than people on the right who care about this story about the ways that Musk, as he's kind of getting credibility for releasing this information, perhaps rightly so, is also backsliding on all of his own promises about doing better than the people that he's reporting on. So mm-hmm. I, I, I am a little, I'm a little wary of this narrative that's emerging and one that's being pushed by some people that I consider to be friends and I'm part of the, the, you know, left community that the only people who are authentically caring about free speech are on the right, because that's not true. The people on the right who purported to care, I mean, I'm not talking about individuals. You know, I think that regular conservatives, many of them had a sincere commitment to this issue, sincerely. Mm. However, the people who are politicians or like conservative journalists or people like that seem to be openly relishing Elon Musk's hypocrisy and explicitly saying things like, yeah, it's about revenge. Now it's your turn. Eat it. We know it's unfair. We like it. Now we're serving you back. And I'm like, how can you serve me back? I never, you know, there are many parts of the left that never were pushing for, that were critical of Trump being pulled off of Twitter, that were critical of Parler being pulled off the app store, that were critical of the pay, the trucker payments being stopped through PayPal, like who were critical of all of those things. Like there's a lot of the left that was principled and all that stuff and is now being principled on Elon Musk doing the same thing to folks. And the only people who have been consistent is that segment of the left. And that might be a small segment and it's not all of the left. And there's certainly plenty of people in the broad left who didn't care about any of this when it wasn't affecting them. But the people on the right are hypocrites. The people, liberals are hypocrites. There's one true people, like one true category that I see. And that's an authentic left. And again, Mm. I'm not talking about like regular citizens. I think there are a lot of perfectly consistent regular citizens across the board. But they're not the ones, you know, that are big and loud and blue checked on Twitter and stuff. So I don't know. It's it's very, very frustrating to me because, you know, I, 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 I don't want this to come off as like talking behind anybody's back. That's why I'm being a little bit hesitant. I would rather just have them on the show and ask them about how they presented themselves in person. But I think you've all seen, you know, folks that we like kind of push that sort of narrative especially in kind of conservative spaces and it's like I I don't know why we can't just agree that these are useful disclosures that there are some important things coming out in the Twitter files that you know all, all of that is good that you shouldn't smear the messenger just because you like hate Putin or whatever your rationale is you know what I mean like why can't you say all those things and also not pretend like Elon Musk banning a bunch of journalists is like righteous and good. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and, and that is not what I'm trying to do here. I yeah, have no, no not, interest not in you. defending Elon Musk. Truth be told, I think Elon Musk has totally clowned himself as as chief bird and, and he's paying a big price too, both financially and in the court of public opinion for this. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, no, I I would agree. And I, I, I know there is, you know, kind of a debate right now. It's had people say, oh, you know, well, it's it's predominantly voices on the right that have been that have been silenced. Uh, you know, this is an outrage. There's clear bias here that there's other individuals such as yourself pushing back on that narrative a little bit. Like, you know, actually, there's plenty of blame to go around and it's across the board. Uh, but, 
I, I to me when when you look under the hood a little bit, I I don't think it's as much about left or right, perhaps, as the unifying theme I see is it's anti-establishment voices. Mm-hmm. It's people that really want to stir shit up. Um, have you, by any chance, Brie, read Matt Taibbi's book, Hate, Inc.? I haven't. Oh, I cannot recommend that book enough. It One of the most eye-opening things I've read in probably... 10 years. Um, so it's, it, it, to give you the Coles Notes version, it's, um, it's, it's an update to Noam Chomsky's seminal work, Manufacturing Consent, uh, mm. written with Chomsky's blessing. Indeed, the first chapter is an interview Matt Taibbi gives with Chomsky himself. Um, and it, it's updated uh, to reflect three major paradigm shifts that have appeared in the news media since Chomsky wrote the book. It's, I could, one is the ubiquity of the internet. Um, the second one is the rise of the 24-hour news cycle. And the third is the siloization of the media narratives that people often consume, right? So a Fox News viewer is being presented with a completely different version of reality than an MSNBC or and and pardon me MSNBC viewer would be, mm-hmm. um, and it's all done to the fact. So where Chomsky argued that consent for things like uh, imperialism and the military-industrial complex and uh, our adventures abroad. It, Consent is manufactured for this by fear. Matt Taibbi would argue it's actually done by making us hate each other. And mm-hmm. reading this book, I had so many aha moments. Like I can't unsee it now. It's <laughs> um, anyway. I, I don't want to keep you on, and I'm rambling a little bit. But I'm I, I get, oh, <laughs> thank you. You're very gracious, as I said. Um, but I guess on that note. I would love to see you, Bree, talk to Matt Taibbi himself about some of this stuff. I, I know you had him on to debate Russiagate a little bit once, but I, I think a deeper conversation is long overdue and would be especially timely now. Um, I know you would have, have some culture war sticking points, but there are so many areas where your journalistic interests and deeper societal concerned, concerns are clearly aligned. And yeah, it, no, no, not at all. I've already reached out. So I hope to hear back. Oh, from, you know, awesome. I obviously reached out immediately. So hope I know that he's probably being inundated with requests, but I hope that he's able to make some time. Oh, that's wicked. That makes me so happy because <laughs> I've been waiting for a while. And as I say, now it just seems like, you know, the perfect opportunity. Um, just one quick thing, like if I could just ask you, because this has been bugging me a little bit. It's, it's a bit tangential, but mm-hmm. okay. So I saw a journalist by the name of Whitney Webb interviewed on the Jimmy Dore show and okay. it blew my freaking mind. Like, <laughs> but what she's saying, it, it, she, she sounds, she gives off an exceedingly credible vibe. 
Uh, and she's very charming too, but the thing she is saying, she is saying is so extraordinary. And then when I look into her a little bit deeper, there are some red flags, hmm. but I noticed that you are a follower of Whitney Webb on Twitter. Yeah, I'm also so I want to myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, man, I need your lawyerly brain to tell me if, if she's credible or not, because if she is, I mean, her message is an earthquake, but I, it's hard to figure these things out sometimes. So I, I honestly don't, I, and I don't mean this in a, in a shady way at all. I, but I, I honestly don't remember when or why I, I followed her. So I can't, I can't really tell you. I'm sorry. Like I said, I follow a lot of people. If you said, did one interesting tweet, like I'll follow it. Um, but I'll, you know, I'll watch that. I'll watch that clip. And um, I'll let you know if I discover anything more. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. I'm not really familiar with her. All right. Fair enough. I, I thought there was just an off chance when I saw the Twitter, Twitter follow, but fair enough. It, <laughs> yeah, we're right, mutuals, well, but it, I don't quite remember why. Matthew Ho follows her. Kim well, Iverson. She, man, she, let, let me see. What was that book? What's Sadie the name Sabs. of her book she just wrote? It. She, yeah, one nation. Okay, one nation under blackmail: the sordid union between intelligence and crime that gave rise to Jeffrey Epstein. And like you hear her talk, she's clearly brilliant. She spits details and dates and names out like nothing, and hmm. so confidently. And as I say, she's very charming. Um, but but yeah, she. I mean, it does sound a little bit conspiratorial sometimes. And but the thing that you know really struck me about her is that she repeatedly challenged people to fact check her and she said my book is primary source like all of these claims i'm saying you can go check for yourself and i challenge you to prove me wrong so yeah so i don't know maybe so would a chat kid uh, shed some light on this if you're not so familiar but yeah chat i see case study is saying that he follows her but he's not precisely sure a lot of lefties follow her um i see Sabby, Jen Perlman, uh, Richard Minhurst, like a lot of people, a lot of mutuals, but I, I hopefully one of those mutuals is maybe in the, in the chat and can remember why exactly they follow her and give you some good feedback there. But look, thanks for calling in, Shawnee. It's been lovely talking to you. Oh, likewise. It's been a pleasure, Brie. Keep the faith. Thank Keep you so faith. much. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, a. Oh, is this A calling in from India? Yes, it is. Hello, hello. Hello, my friend. Long time to chat. Yes, it's been a while. Oh, man, I've had such a roller coaster over these past couple of callers. I was making my breakfast eggs and I started messing them up. And I was going to have to tell you, could you call me back later? But then you took Shani and I was very relieved. <laughs> breakfast. Oh, my goodness. What time is it? It is oh, quarter to eight in the morning. It's 2.08? Quarter to 8. Oh, quarter to 8. Okay, sorry. Yes. Okay, yes. so early but not crazy. Because sometimes you call in and you're like, it's 4 a.m. Yeah, I mean, actually, that's not, that's rarer. Usually, because since I think you've been getting later with these sessions, it's been becoming more yeah. convenient for me. Re regrettably. Well, I'm glad. It's so, it's so flattering. I'm, I'm honored that you would wake up and, and call in over your morning routine. Let us know what's on your mind tonight or this yeah. morning. I, so, I, Yes, it's so great. I mean, even when I'm not uh, uh, 
calling in to speak with you which you know i have i'm partial to <laughs> i do enjoy just listening uh, listening to everyone talk yes so i have called in to discuss the shama samant episode yeah um because what a barn burner that was holy shit <laughs> <laughs> um and i mean in fact i was on that call in i mean who wasn't i suppose but uh, then when you pulled in the actual ryan grim then i hung up with uh, <laughs> it wouldn't have been appropriate to talk with the actual person in the room <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't that isn't that a, a boon of sorts isn't that kind of you, you got to you got to give it to Ryan to come into that kind of a hostile environment and take Absolutely. Place. No no and also I mean and it speaks so well of you because it took it to a more substantive place rather mm. than you know just everyone having reactions but mm-hmm. I was there just to have a reaction. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, hit us with your okay, reaction so, now. Yes. So um I want to uh, I want to cover both of them. I had very specific reactions to both of them. With Shama in fact I first heard of her and of course you can imagine for obvious reasons my interests were piqued where where you know who is this Indian lady who is you know rocking the boat like this in the states. Uh I first heard of her through your podcast. I think the first time you had her on and then mm-hmm. so I looked her up and I started following her and I put on some of my lefty circles here to her and to her work. and i thought what i could do uh, here was uh, uh, like fr- uh, you know tell people a little bit about sort of her origins just because i think they point to even they make her even more impressive to my mind um, so she uh, is uh, uh, from i mean i'm i'm assuming like any one of us indians with a conscience she also rejects caste so i don't necessarily want to invoke her caste but she is from the up uh, like she's a tam bram uh, a tamil brahmin which means she's like at the tippity top of the caste ladder here in india mm-hmm. as far as origins go and then she i mean she had sort of very much a model trajectory for an indian in that she went abroad uh, as, uh, you know after doing engineering and then <clears throat> got like i think a good job there and sort of a very model indian you know tuck your head down be a model minority abroad etc kind of trajectory mm-hmm. uh so to me it's like it's always while of course there's no um there's no competition between the two but for someone who leaves comfort or ostensible comfort mm-hmm. to fight the fight is always quite uh, inspiring mm-hmm. and uh, what i what i was quite taken with was i mean so a small detail her name shama it translates to forgive or forgiveness and mm-hmm. uh, i just thought like it was so quite on i mean i was quite struck really by how comfortable she was making a room uncomfortable because mm-hmm. of something she believed in i mean it's a thing that i certainly struggle with and i think many struggle with so that she was willing to kind of go there and you know be hostile and it's, it's also i mean it's very clear even when she talks about the work she does in seattle that that she is some that's in she's an old hand at you know being comfortable inside discomfort but mm-hmm. that's fucking hard so It is. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And I I admire it. I don't know. I I know that some some people reacted to that episode and said, you know, it, we were too hard on Ryan and that we would have been more persuasive. I saw some people say like I think that Shama's right, but she shouldn't have yelled at Ryan or, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. And for me, like I appreciate that that argument. I have had moments where strategically I've decided that I, I you know my only goal going into this is to not raise my voice. Like that's how I felt about going into the mm. debate with 
Chang, right? Because I had a mm. sense, you, know, you kind of have a sense of who you're talking to and how it's going to be read in a certain kind of environment and online community. And I, I just didn't want to have to deal with any of those kinds of critiques. Mm. However, I think it is this different kind of talent. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're right, right? The fact that I was able to stay quiet in that conversation with Chang doesn't, doesn't actually mean that I was right. It's just a rhetorical, it's just like a strategy. And I think that there are times when I've been on the other side of that and been very frustrated that I've been judged based on my tone. And I also think yeah. there's a certain, a different kind of courage that comes in being able to assert yourself when you know the whole world is, is going to potentially judge that harshly as well. And you just got to decide. And I don't know, like, it is difficult to make people uncomfortable. And Ryan, you know, he's nice. Like he presents nicely. He's not like, he's not, uh, he's not someone like, I'm not trying to start beef, but he's not someone who is like argumentative and unfair and like shouty mm. or like using ad hominems. Like that's not his vibe. We all have our substantive degree disagreements mm. with him, obviously, but he's mm. someone who, you know, taking a certain approach can get you some backlash sometimes, mm. you know, people aren't like, if I shout at Chang, nobody actually would care. I think <laughs> it would be like, you deserve it. Like it's tit for tat, but yeah. you know, I'll, I guess what I'm trying to say is that like Ryan presents is very informed I and mean, he is very informed and mm. established. And it takes a lot, I think, to be willing to stand your ground in that situation. And while I appreciate why some people didn't like that approach, I think it takes all kinds. I've always said, like, I think that Jimmy Dore needs to exist. I think that he channels a kind of sincere frustration that other people who are, like, more calm and deliberate in their approach don't. And I liked seeing that side of her because she's been on the show many times before. And I think that many people were surprised to see that exactly that side of her. Mm -hmm. the, um, wait a minute. Let me get my – where's my um, – Yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> wait a minute. Where's my freaking – where is it? Uh what the actual fuck are you saying? <laughs> that side of her was novel. But I, I appreciated it. I liked a little diversity in my Shama experience. <laughs> yeah, it was so fantastic. It was it, it took me back to what Vijay Prashad had said that first and foremost, one needs a revolutionary spirit. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it, it really felt like that. And, and, and I agree with what you're saying, that there is a certain um, cred credibility that is accorded to the equanimous, which is com which is quite frustrating sometimes mm -hmm. because sometimes you know the one's passions are in fact may even make one more credible and mm -hmm. not less so. So that was nice. But on the other hand, where Shama is, you know, had me awestruck and inspired, and also a little bit sheepish about how sort of uh, you know how milk toast I, I feel in comparison uh, with Ryan. I found myself, oh, I found myself relating to him very hard because he, like me, is a bit of a pedant, I think. And, <laughs> and, and, though, and with pedantry, one can sometimes miss the forest for the trees. I, mm -hmm. I know that very well. But also, I mean, the other thing that I was thinking of with Ryan was um, two things that he said. Uh, I think last, uh, in the last call-in, one caller had spoken of uh, John Paul Sartre's Bad Faith Waiter. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I mean... And I actually, I understood it very differently how Sartre spoke of that waiter, because I think the caller was fixating on identity and how, uh, I mean, used it to make a critique of lingering too much on identity. Mm -hmm. But it was Jonathan, I, uh, right? I yeah, I think, so. yes, yes, mm -hmm. it was Jonathan. <laughs> yeah. But um, 
I mean, just sorry, I, I, I don't want to bore everyone, so I, I'll, I'll do a quick recap uh, for anyone who wasn't there in the last call-in. But basically, Sartre laid out this scenario where there's a restaurant and if a waiter is being very obsequious, very uh, deferential, being sort of the quintessential waiter, then they're living in bad faith. And what he meant by that was that since there is no such thing as a quintessential waiter and humans are more complex and diverse than sort of any one of their identities if that the waiter was sublimating himself to this degree to this one identity of his his professional identity meant that he was living in bad faith because he was denying himself the fullness of his being Mm. Uh, so to me it's less about critiquing uh, identity as much as it is about uh, critiquing the notion that anyone can be reduced to their one identity mm. uh, because you know I mean I can, someone can be a professional waiter but then they could I don't know you know they have their favorite colors and they like some movies and they don't like some people and they have kinks and you know they're a human being so uh, all of this to say that with Ryan there were a couple of things he said which made me feel like he's almost like the bad faith journalist or reporter equivalent because when he said that it's sort of not my job to have an opinion I mean that is a denial of self because I mean people have opinions and he also clearly does so sort of that fracture I can I mean and the reason I say relate to him is because I suffer from this also sometimes professionally where it feels more where it feels like putting aside personal thoughts feelings and opinions is somehow me doing my job better uh, but I, I, I think that it sneakily does sort of it. It does sneak up on you the, if you're doing that kind of fracture. And the other thing, and I think it kind of showed even when he spoke of politics. Uh, sorry, uh, I think Congress representatives that he would rather in a perfect world that they just act as empty vessels that just do the bidding of their constituents. I mean that also I think is sort of an. Uh, it takes this concept further, which is where in his head, because they re- they exist to represent, mm-hmm. then that's all they must be, you know. So it's just like it's like it's a sort of a weird place in which to exist, where he, where in his ideal world, people are fractured into their professional selves. I don't know if I'm making any sense. No, you're making a lot of sense, actually. And in fact, I think that what he said was even more narrow than that. I think he said he wanted them to be a vessel of the union members that were supportive of the strategy. Mm. Mm. So so it's not even like all of your constituents, which is a bigger, diffuse group. It wasn't even just all of the railroad workers, which is a smaller group. Yeah. It was the subset of real workers that endorsed this plan who had this meeting with Jamal Bowman. You know, at mm. which point, you know, I, I I even if it were all of the constituents, I still think there's a responsibility for Congress members to also use their independent judgment Absolutely. at a certain point. Like that's, it's a balancing game and everyone's going to balance differently and who knows who's right, but it can't just be, you know, Elon Musk doing everything by Twitter poll. <laughs> like yeah. sometimes you have, I mean, the point that we were trying to make to Ryan was that I don't expect, this is no shade to the rail workers, but I don't expect the rail workers to be in the best position to know what the best congressional strategy is. You're the Congress member. You're supposed Absolutely. to be filling in that piece of the puzzle for them and coming to some kind of solution together. But the idea that you are going to kind of blindly follow the lead of anyone is problematic, especially such a small and then unrepresentative group. And again, Ryan was characterizing it as like, we don't like the rail workers. We disrespect the rail workers. We don't value the opinion of the rail workers. And and that's why at a certain point in the conversation, he was like, yeah, you should just do whatever the rail workers say. But what Sean and I kept trying to get at is that 
Yeah. One, that's not even all of the real work. <laughs> and how can you be so confident? Like, especially when, like, put the real workers to the side. I don't need the real workers for this. Even under the, the definition of the strategy that you've put out there, they did not need to vote for it. <laughs> like, this is the part. I'm sorry, I know I said this a million times. Even, yeah. even if they really cared about the Senate voting on the seven days, the seven days were going to pass the House without the Congress members voting for it. So there's literally just no excuse in the world for this. So why are we even talking about the real workers? Why are, yeah. we, why are we even talking about it? They wanted the strategy great. Their strategy can be deployed without the Congress members voting for it. Absolutely, yeah. And, and yeah, so this would be a case where even pedantically he's not really on firm ground. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I will get in the weeds I, with Ryan. I, I can be a little pedantic myself. <laughs> As I say <laughs> the same say. fucking sentence for the 50th time in a row over like four Collins. <laughs> But like that's what was it's crazy to me because there's so many people on the internet that are like you're so stupid you don't understand I'm like no I literally just listened to what Ryan was saying I learned everything from people like Ryan I'm not coming up with anything new and by Ryan's own explanation it didn't yeah. make sense yeah it didn't hold up at all it's almost like I mean it's uh, what was very clear to me I think in the contrast of personalities was um it seemed like Ryan still was setting some store by usual like electoral processes or sort of you know just the theoretical underpinnings of representative democracy etc where he doesn't see that the true leftist way to look at someone who is uh in the halls of power is to see them as a plant for the movement who whose job it is to know how those uh you know how that machinery works and bring that expertise in to advance the movement and not blindly listen to strategy by some poor desperate worker you know, um, yeah. that yeah. should be the role, right, of the leftists in power and not like some kind of like the vessels he described. Yeah, you have to have on some level it almost feels like and this is playing a little bit of armchair psychology, but it also it almost feels like in a tough spot. I mean, mm. it shouldn't have been a tough spot for Shama. This isn't a confusing situation, but whatever. In a tough spot mm. where you're being pressured by establishment dims to go along with something and you don't really know what to do. We don't have a real good organized movement, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. There's a certain way that I, I feel like psychologically, it's like almost they wanted to punt responsibility to someone who had valor. Like it's, it's, a, it's an easy thing to say, mm -hmm. hey, look, I did, what the, you know, I did what the workers told me to do. Yeah. Workers are good. We like workers. Who can argue with workers? You know, I found a worker. And this, and this I think, is what upset Ryan, the implication that the worker was in bad faith. And yeah. I think when Shama said something like they might be conservative, da, 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 that really triggered, I mean, that made Ryan upset. And yeah. maybe Shama shouldn't have said that. I don't know. I don't think that's exactly what she meant, but regardless, I'm not trying to revisionist history of this. The point is nope. that it doesn't Sorry. matter what was motivating yeah. you know, the worker. Like, I have no desire to impugn the worker. But the idea hmm. that a Congress member is going to abdicate responsibility for a strategy to some to like a random person who, in all likelihood, knows far less about what's going on in Congress than the Congress person themselves, strategy wise. Yeah, yeah. It, it feels yeah. like it, an, a, an unwillingness to just take a stand on anything, an unwillingness to be someone who is really coordinating prongs of a movement as opposed yes. to just 
being like a robot control, you know, like, are you going to have a role? Are you just a machine to to be lobbied? Precisely. And also, I mean, the, I don't know, I'm going to butcher this, but there's that quote, something along the lines of the truth. The poor may not always sing of justice, but if you don't hear them, you will never know the truth or something along those lines where Mm. it's, it's like, Sure, one has to hear out all the people who are actually suffering, but then one has to un- uh, exercise independent ju- judgment and moral fiber mm-hmm. uh, to decide what the course of action is. Because, uh, no, I don't think, in fact, Shama uh, was out of line to speak of the fact that worker that there could be a worker who's just a bad person. There's a worker who can be like, it's, sure. it's really quite a material, really, what people uh, want, I mean, what people's motivations are, because the leftist principle here is, it's really quite stark. But also, I mean, I think uh, one of the callers on the call-in had made a very insightful point, which is that it's possible. And again, I mean, this is really a lot more commentary than is acceptable on a poor reporter, I suppose. But maybe, it's you know, that cl- one's class position does contribute to this kind of uh, reticence on certain matters where you where you valorize the poor because, you know, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. So whatever the poor person says goes, mm-hmm. you know, which, mm-hmm. which I, I can't imagine that happening too. I don't mm-hmm. know. Well, I, I, I only bring it up because I think Ryan's point was that while abstractly it is possible for the worker to have been conservative or had whatever ideology, mm. ideological background, in this case, we knew for, for, to Ryan, to Ryan, the fact that this worker had been part of this caucus of a, of yeah. a union that had forced it in a left direction was proof that the worker was a good faith actor who was not, you know, who was aligned ideologically with all of our collective interests and was not, in fact, conservative. Now, I think that and we should that, just defer to what they suggest. Exactly. Mm. And, and so I think that even that is a bit of a jump, like just because they're to yeah. the left of their union doesn't necessarily mean that they're da, 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 where we are, whatever. Fine. But even assuming what Ryan was saying, all of the objections, you know, assuming that's true and that we can't cast aspersions about this particular worker's background, it doesn't really mean anything for all the reasons that we've discussed before. Like, so that's why I was just, I kept trying to get off the worker. Like, it's irrelevant. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 One yeah. of my other other favorite lines of the thing was, uh, I don't need to take a poll to know what gravity will do if I drop this makeup brush. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I am painfully literal sometimes. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> no, it was a banger. I mean, if, if it weren't for Shama, it would have been the line of the night that you were. <laughs> Obviously, outclassed that. <laughs> what the actual fuck are you saying? <laughs> well, I will. I will leave it there. Uh, have a good one. Keep you the faith. too. It's good to hear from you. A eh? keep the faith. Have yeah. a good morning. Bye bye. Bye bye. Um, Brady, what's in your mind tonight? Oh, I caught Brady off guard. Brady was like, I was in the back third. I I really thought I had time. Oh, I'm here now. Can you hear me? Oh, okay. There you go. What's on your mind tonight, Brady? So, interestingly enough, I have a, uh older sister who's how many years older now? Like eight years older than me. And mm-hmm. their family is pretty conservative. Um, clearly, as I'm listening to this pod, is am not. Um... <laughs> But it was interesting speaking to them over the last time I saw them. Um, And a lot of the things we were talking about were like 
one of the instances was like, oh, there was this bill that passed and there was a million dollars that went to Ecuador for LGBTQ plus um, funding or research or whatever. And I was kind of just like, yeah, sometimes funding like that is um, what's the word I used? Like crazy how money can be spent and you don't really know where it goes. Like the eight hundred ninety five billion dollar Pentagon bill that gets footed every year and they fail their audits so it's just it, it's just interesting to me how the mindset of waste or wasted spending is like it seems like leftists and people on the right both have that in mind but they just don't come to the same conclusion of what we should actively talk about mm-hmm. and i just i just wonder um kind of what your thoughts are on like, how do you kind of decipher and and talk to people about those things? Because it's to me, it seems like pretty blatant, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think that is an important thing to recognize. I mean, the challenge is there are things that it, the left and right have come to agree on in terms of where spending is gratuitous and unnecessary, like the military budget and its failure to pass the last five audits and all that stuff like Robbie and I. We gave a talk at some D.C. event last week, and it was about, all about bipartisanship. And so we were explaining, you know, why we agree, like, you know, how we get along, how we manage to do this show and have genuine camaraderie. And we were both joking about how we love we want, love when, like, a military spending subject comes up or when cops come up because it means we don't have to fight. <laughs> It's like, yeah. oh, goody, a, a segment on the on the military <laughs> budget. Oh, 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 goody, like a cop did something terrible. It means we can be on the same side of this thing, as, you know, as a libertarian. Of course, the, the struggle is that ideologically there might be – there are, certainly are occasions where I think it's perfectly reasonable and good to spend money on something LGBTQ-related. And someone else might have an ideological, you know – position on the value of supporting whatever LGBTQIA issue there is and therefore want to not spend on it, not because they think it's wasteful spending, but because it's something that they ideologically don't support. And that's why these kinds of these, these kinds of unions are a little fraught and have to be negotiated delicately. You know, like it, it, it is a good thing that so many of these high level issues, like the big, the big, big things, these kind of like big, economic issues have this interesting distance from the cultural issues that give us a lot of opportunity for, for collaboration, but how to do that without blithely throwing all these vulnerable groups under the bus. That's the dance and the implication that the left is eager to throw those groups under the bus has hurt the left with those groups, at least in part because the mainstream media figures from a lot of marginalized groups beat that drum hard. Like, you know, they were team Warren because team Bernie, the, the pitch was the argument was that Bernie was going to sacrifice historically marginalized people at the altar of economic parity. And Elizabeth Warren, for some reason, wasn't going to do that. Yeah. Well, it's just, to me, it's, it's frustrating because, uh, did you ever happen to see the um, 
the Cornell, this is a random one, uh, the Cornell West and Candace Owens, when they talked uh, for mm-hmm. like an hour. Yeah, someone it, just put that on my timeline. Has, have people so, been resurfacing that? Uh, I watched it a little while ago, but it's just something that stuck with me because I love listening to Cornell West. And I think he's so very, um, what do you say? Just the, the way he chooses to, the way he chose to talk to Candace mm-hmm. was almost disarming to her because she's so, she's not used to being like, I agree with you. However, this is what I, th-. you know what I mean? She's used to being mm-hmm. incendiary and, and just saying shit off the wall. But it was interesting because it seemed like they had common ground, even though they had different ideas of what they should do about it. But it just it, it just seems to me that, like, for instance, the person I was talking to said that they listened to uh, Matt Walsh a lot. And I went and I look, I don't I didn't know who he was. And I looked him up and like the whole fucking timeline is just trans jokes. And I'm like, OK, mm-hmm. well, uh, I don't even see anything of I don't see anything of I don't know how to say it so being offensive, but like any of the things that we were talking about that really, really mattered mm-hmm. to us in our lives. Mm-hmm. I just saw a whole bunch of stuff that's like culture war issues. Mm-hmm. And it's just I don't know. It's just it's frustrating to see. So it's interesting when I see Cornell us and Candace Owens be able to have a good conversation. However, that's not going to be what's amplified or that's not what's going to be. That's those aren't the discussions that aren't going to be had. And those are the discussions that I think lead to legitimate changing of minds. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel sometimes like it can be overwhelming when, you know, if someone is, if someone is very, very into Matt Walsh, some folks would say like, that's not going to be the one. Like, we're not going to flip yeah. that one. Like, go to the next house, <laughs> not yeah, the next yeah. door. That's not one to be earned. And, I mean, you know, in a, in a context where we were literally door knocking or something, that might be right. But, you know, my feeling about that is you can say to someone, look, I, it's, I, it's not my job to convince you what is or isn't funny or what is or is not offen- offensive. But we know each other. We're family. I mean, this is your your sister's family, right? Like, yeah we've had enough conversations. I know enough about your life that we have similar needs. We have similar frustrations with the hurdles that we're facing in life. And with all that we have in common, doesn't it make sense for us to focus on coming together as a political group that can achieve some of these things? Moreover, you know, can you help me understand politically what you hope to come out of your support of someone like Matt Walsh in that kind of ideology. Cause I don't, I'm not asking you, I mean like this is difficult, this is delicate, you know, but yeah. I'm not necessarily asking you to decide that you want to join a glad chapter. I'm not asking you to love trans people. I'm like, I'm not asking you like people are where they are and I hope one day you get there, but like you obviously feel some kind of way. However, I know I don't want any harm to come to anybody, no matter how much I disagree with them. And I hope that you can agree with me on that. Like, I don't want anybody to be hurt. I don't want anybody to be attacked. I want everyone to have basic equal rights. And to that end, I hope that you can ensure (laughs) or try to, you know, observe as you enjoy Matt Walsh's comedic stylings. 
LOL, that it's not advancing political agendas that would cause the kind of harm that I don't think you as a good person would want, you know, Hmm. whether or not they are a good person, I don't know. But sometimes, you know, helping people to see themselves, like most people want to see themselves as good and not like violent or hateful and those kinds of things. People will be like, well, I don't think that, sorry, I should not affect that accent. People are like, I don't want, I don't want X person to, you know, I, I, I'm a good person. I'm God fearing. I'm Christian, you know, and, and when you remind them of those aspects of their personality, they can, you can sometimes get them to see the tension between that. And they're like, God hates FAG's t-shirts or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, you know, Matt Walsh says this and he says, it's comedy, but do you have any concerns about, you know, this shooter or these, you know, these anti-trans events or these people with guns outside of these drag shows? Like, what would happen if someone got hurt? What would happen if someone got killed? And would you feel any responsibility? I mean, kind of plumbing those kind of ethical positions and also just affirming. Sometimes I'll be having these conversations on the Hill that they make me have. And I'll just feel like saying, you know, just for the record, I think trans people should be safe like everybody else. And it can like weirdly pause the conversation in this way because it's like not a given and we'll be arguing about something esoteric and like forcing someone who says, oh, it's just about the safety of my girl children in the bathroom to like say something like, oh, well, I don't want them to be killed. You know, it, it, for, it forces them to recognize the kind of implication of the whatever the policy or whatever more oblique thing that is we're discussing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I almost think it's funny because now thinking back a little bit, it, it almost reminds me of what, what Cornell was saying with Candace is you're right. He he does kind of do that and say things that are that makes the other person go, well, yes, of yes, of course. And they say something that they normally wouldn't say and they wouldn't affirm. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. And 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 that's part of the, the magic of um, Cornell West, too, because, you know, when he's when he says, hi, my sister, hi, my brother. I oh, mean, it's, it's, it's hard to. It's hard to like yell at that. A hundred percent. And then he says he immediately goes for like when the the clip I saw of Candace, he was like, she started to go in on liberals, and he was like, oh, to be clear, I'm not, I'm a leftist, not a liberal, and I completely join you in solidarity with my sister on you know calling out the way the establishment does X, Y, and Z. And by the way, that's a Republican establishment as well. These are two bought and sold corporate parties, and suddenly she didn't really have an edge to attack for she didn't have land under her feet to spring toward him and attack on off of, you know what I mean? She yeah. No, she doesn't have substance. <laughs> right. Like, and, and, and someone willing to, that's, that's the beauty of being a leftist, being willing to critique your own side. Not that we're liberals, but you know what I mean? Being able to critique in that way from the outside gives you so much credibility in the space and people like Candace, they're not really exposed to that. They're not familiar with it and they don't really know what to do with it. Candace's whole strategy, part of her strength, you know, she's smart. What she does is she she takes advantage of the caricatured version of her. And even though she says some pretty outrageous things, she knows exactly what she has and hasn't said and rides that line very well and waits for someone to accuse her of something that she hasn't done. Said, hasn't said. Hasn't and said. Then... And she and she says things. She takes stands like, "I I protect children. Pedophilia is bad, and it is creepy to have an ad with 
a child porn case in it that also has kids in it. Now, if you disagree with that, you sound like a pedophile, right? <laughs> like, you know, child child pornography is obviously bad. And it was at very least a bizarre choice to put a court case about a child pedophilia, a child porn in an ad with a child. Now, if it's an art exhibit, do what you want to do, like be subversive and, you know, let the chips fall where they may. As an advertiser, uh, advertisement for a company that wants to sell to normies, it was a choice, right? So what she basically does is she'll put these videos out about the Balenciaga scandal or, you know, Kim Kardashian dresses too provocatively and sleeps too, with too many men publicly. Things that are kind of not progressive beliefs, but kind of normie beliefs. You know what I mean? Like yeah. mothers shouldn't have their boobs out, like normie beliefs. And then she waits for someone to come and argue against her. And then they start to sound like they'll accuse her of like hating women. They'll accuse her of like um, hating gay people because they're accusing people of being groomers and Balenciaga. And you'll say, wait a minute. I never said that. I never said I hate women. I love women. I respect women. I want women to have integrity. And that is why I don't like women being exploited by men who want them to walk around naked. And we call that feminism. Right now. Who sounds crazy? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's her whole little dance. So, like, she's good, but she, she, she only has power. She derives her power from the overreach of the people who are arguing against her. And from some of the, I will say, sillier, not sillier, but the, the more performative, less mainstream aspects of the cultural left. They cherry pick the craziest things the left has ever said. Libs of TikTok, you know. They cherry pick the most, the, the vanguard craziest things. And they pretend everyone's that way. And then we feel like we have to defend it. And so, and suddenly all of us, no matter how normie we are, are the most radical in the eyes of the average American. Yeah. Do you think she's, here's an interesting one. In your heart of hearts, is she doing it on, does she know what she's doing? Does she believe what she's actually doing? Or does she, is this straight up uh, a, a character she's playing and she's going to write it all the way to the bank. Uh, I think that she knows what she's doing. She was like a Hillary girl. Like she was, she was a lib not that long ago. She, there's no way, right? Like she knows, she knows, she knows what she's doing. Yeah. She's got to. And I don't even think she believes what she's saying some of the times. Who knows at this point? Like, I think there is a way that that kind of slippage can become real. Like the gate, like you start yeah. to believe your own. Like I, I've, I've noticed this. I mean, like right, like look, look what's happening in the left media landscape right now. <sighs> did, did you follow this? Well, let me not get into that kind of specifics. Basically, <laughs> you're seeing a number of people start to take some. There's a fine line between acknowledging that the liberal media is bad and pretending that the conservative media is good. For example, there's a fine line between, you know, mm. acknowledging that let's say that Loudoun County school case, which I only recently came, became familiar with. Um, they covered it at rising before I was on the show, but in which a, 
trans student sexually assaulted, apparently anally raped two, stu- at least one stu- sexually assaulted two girls, one in a bathroom where it was anally raped. And there was another assault that I'm not sure was that, but it was another sexual assault after the first assault at a school. Uh, the student was the trans student was moved to a new school. There was reporting that she had been involved in an assault, but the, the, the idea is that basically people were kind of reluctant to engage with it because there was so much buzz before midterms and so much politicization of the idea of trans people taking, you know, exploiting their access to a bathroom and abusing women, right? Like that, that was the narrative. So people didn't want that to get out. And so as a consequence argue, you know, what seems to have happened is they just transfer this kid to a new school instead of a you know, intervening in some disciplinary way. And then they ended up attacking, she ended up attacking another girl. Okay. The father was very upset. The father went to a um, town hall meeting. People shouted the father down. The father's like, W2F, my daughter was raped. Why am I the bad guy? And this was a whole thing. And now that it's all been investigated, the this head of the school board has been fired. Everyone is now on the same page on how this was very poorly handled. And they basically allowed this girl to get sexually assaulted because they basically didn't want to seem like they were unfair to the trans kid. And so this is one of those moments. I'm sorry, that was like a long explanation that but I just want to make sure everyone's on the same page because this is the situation the left ends up in where it's, it, it, it kind of gives fodder. It gives, it feeds the idea that we don't really care substantively about the rights of people. We're more invested in protecting like the ideological sanctity of someone. And I'm sensitive to that, right? Like I, I wouldn't want to be the one that jumped to a conclusion about a trans student attacking a girl in a girl's bathroom for obvious reasons. At the same time, that desire not to unfairly stigmatize a trans girl knowing what the stigmas are about bathroom access and stuff never should come at the expense of a student getting attacked after they know that this person is a perpetrator, like is a, is a, an aggressor. Yeah. Right. And like, this is, this is, this is the kind of, this is the kind of space that the left is going to have to get better at negotiating not seeming like it is more committed to this kind of abstract principle or not having a bad news cycle or not, you know, creating more stigma for community, which are all laudable goals, but more laudable than preventing a a kid from getting sexually assaulted. It's, it's, it's difficult. Like, and nobody wants to really get into that, but teachers and like parents and people in the real world will have to get into that. It's not like a pedantic internet conversation. And they had real world consequences. And now, yeah. you know, people's unwillingness to kind of engage with the reality of what that is, is affecting people's ability to trust, trust the left. I don't even remember how we got into this. <laughs> what did you ask me? Me neither, but it's an interesting point. I mean, I, I, um, uh, I work with uh, high school kids and at this school, there are, um, there are trans kids who use their chosen um, or their the bathrooms that they or the locker rooms that they want to use mm-hmm. and it's interesting because I like I mean when I the when I was in high school it seemed like a very accepting um, um, place and mm-hmm. the grades below me like as I got older they seemed even more accepting whereas I feel mm-hmm. like now these kids are going the other direction now where it's a little, they're a little more 
they're definitely not as PC as they once were. So I don't know. It's just an interesting thing to see because they're they they've had they're now having to live through it for multiple years, whereas it was kind of new when I was in high school, right? Mm-hmm. So it was more. It's just interesting. Um, they seem to be a little bit more not PC is though just the way I'll put it. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, so it's it's um kind of wondering about where that goes in the future. I don't I don't know, man. I mean, the obvious It feels I, I you you guys heard me like throw on the last call and kind of bristle. I think it was Jonathan's kind of anti-identity politics um discussion about how he thinks it's a distraction and it's a problem. And I was like, well, people's identity matters to them, so you can't be so dismissive of it. Even though I've been a critic of how it's weaponized and how it can be destructive in all these ways. But you just can't come in and say, like, oh, your identity doesn't matter, stop talking about it. You're going to alienate people. Okay. I still believe that is true. But I do think that there is there are these moments, like in the story that I just described, or where... You know, at the end of the day, you should be able to separate the person being trans from the fact that they are a sexual assailant, right? Like, the trans has nothing yeah. to do with it. And there is a way that sometimes the hyper-consciousness of the identity, and you see this sometimes with, like, the way a story happens if the perpetrator is black, you know, and everyone's, like, trying to tiptoe mm-hmm. around the fact that they're black. I mean, like, at the end of the day, it almost betrays the, you know, being uncomfortable with stating the fact can almost betray a kind of bias in and of itself. Like, are you... Why can't you just say they're black? Why can't you just say they're trans? Is it because on some level you think that there's some relationship between those two things? You, you know what hmm. I mean? It's a, it's a delicate, yeah. it's a, <laughs> you know. It is. I don't know. And so I, I do agree that there's this way that this, I guess what I'm saying is this is another one of those moments where divorcing the identity of the perp, perp kid would be helpful to everyone involved, especially, you know, the second victim that didn't need to be a victim. Yeah. But how, like, we, I think we're just working through this as a society. Like, a lot of this stuff is new. There's been a lot of very quick cultural changes over the last 10, 15, 20 years. And there's going to be some growing pains. And, and it's tough. But you know, <laughs> I don't think that we should be shying away from these kinds of conversations because it's hard. Like, yeah. if, if, if I were someone who, you know, had covered the story initially and were skeptical of the reporting because of the way that the idea of, like, trans people being, you know, a, a risk factor in bathrooms is perpetrated. And if I had been will, unwilling to, like, engage with the story at that point and now realize that I was wrong, like, I do think it's worth talking about because there's credibility issues here. It, yeah. And there was a girl, like, there was a, you know, there was a kid that was... Someone was harmed, here, yeah. You know? I don't know. It's, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'll get off that one real fast. Last thing, um, I have a friend who works on Capitol Hill with a um, with a was it a senator I believe it's mm-hmm. a senator and I was I was telling her the the knock on the person she works for is that they're a corporatist and she said yeah basically um, they are um, and I said in your honest opinion would they vote for something not based on the corporation and this is someone who works for them so I wasn't sure I'm, I'm her friend so I wasn't sure about her answer and what would it be and she basically was like um, no definitely not gonna vote for um, they won't vote with the, the people 
they did they definitely go with the corporation so it's just like <laughs> things like that happen and then the keep the faith thing is a little bit harder to say yeah to people when it's just and when it's as blatant as it is so well how do they reconcile that how do they reconcile yeah, that they, they're saying they they work for this congressperson yeah. who is always yeah. with the corporation do they think what like that's a good thing are they like it's bad but it's just the way the world is i mean how did no, they no 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 uh uh they're left they're left so they're agree it's not it's not good it's not how it should work I but i mean the question is i mean is it ever gonna work in the current structure like you you need big money to win anything so you got to go to corporate corporations well bernie and, didn't and he out he out fundraised everybody. Okay, well, election time it got a little difficult. No, Bernie's problem was not funding. Bernie to oh, the no, last no, no, day. No, 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 no. I'm not saying funding wise. I'm saying from being against the being against the establishment. But right. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, there's there. I mean, yeah. Bernie's one of one though, right? I mean, unless I'm wrong, yeah. unless there's someone else. Well, I mean, even the squad like AOC is one of the top fundraisers. I mean. Her, again, fundraising isn't the issue, but I see what you're saying that if you, I mean, this is what Bernie said also, like, I went up against the establishment, so we're going to have uh, forces aligned against us, the likes of which the world has never seen, et cetera, et cetera. Like, that is true. And we saw it in action. In fact, Thursday's episode, I'm talking to the guest about, it's, you know, in the environmental context, like, how can you have any hope? Like, why are we talking about electoral politics at all? At all? Like, I was telling him that I was watching some show you know, sometimes you get spammed with like the same commercial over and over again. Like there's some hiccup in the ad algorithm on watching mm-hmm. a streaming show. And I, I got like the same ad three times every time there was a commercial break. And it was this ad about how wonderful Joe Biden was in the environment and how he was going to save the world with the Build Back Better uh, environmental provisions and how there's never been a president like this. And like, you know, it was it was nauseating. But, like, that's what's out there in the world, and people are being convinced that, like, there are electoral solutions to these problems. And to me, that's, like, a thousand times more dangerous than – what's his name? Michael Schellenberger? There's this guy they keep having on the Hill. He's, like – it's, like, the right's new approach to climate stuff. It's, like, not climate denialism. But he says things like, yeah, global warming is real, but uh, none of the – you know, hurricanes aren't coming with more frequency. None of the – None of the th- it doesn't actually kill people. Like no one's hurting from global warming. No deaths are coming from it. So like, don't be an alarmist. And I was like, sir, like a third of Pakistan was just underwater, and you're telling me that that like that only like 50 people died in the whole world from global warming this year. Like millions of people die in China from air pollution every year. <laughs> like it's insane. So they're just gonna go with gaslighting instead of denial. It's kind. Of, is it an upgrade? I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's like that Steven Pinker thing of like, oh, the world is better than it was in the Middle Ages, so why are you complaining? You know, <laughs> that, that weird argument. Oh, there's fewer people in poverty than there's ever been, so shut up. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Interesting. All right, well, I'll let you get to the other people too because I know they're waiting. Yeah, thanks, Brady. It's been nice talking to you. Yeah, thank you. All right, Sean, what's on your mind tonight? Not too much. I mean, it's it's been a very kind of enjoyable. I I honestly, Bree, I think uh, it might be the fact that my dad is also a Harvard graduate. He's in the same class as Mitt Romney. But (laughs) you've been excellent conditioned to kind of argue and use arguments, which is something I've been, you know, 
I, I, I found very impressive because it's, it's a lost art on the left. And it's something I think that is important. I just want to kind of give you that compliment, but more so than that, I do think there's something that we've kind of lost on this, on the left. And we've lost the kind of ability. And I'll just say this because we're, we're talking about Cornell West, which I mm. was, you know, the previous caller was, um, First of all, I think Cornell West is amazing. MLK, like Bernie Sanders, is somebody who I personally have used as a means to, like, develop my own psychology, develop my own, you know, development of self. You know what I mean? I looked at MLK as an example. And I don't think MLK's strategy is going to work. I think Bernie Sanders proved that to one degree or another. Mm -hmm. But more so than that, I have a fear about the nature of kind of celebrity and the nature of what celebrity has done to a lot of people and a lot of people's kind of intuition and understanding of like what is actual substance and what is actual reality versus what is what we are using to make ourselves feel comfortable. And I feel like I'm rambling a little bit, but I, 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 I think I can, you know, tie a bow on this real quick. Okay. You're not rambling. I'm following. Okay. I think that we are used to a foreign propaganda, especially here on the left, that the vast majority of people are not willing to see or comprehend. And this foreign propaganda is A, the kind of morality of kindness and weakness. So you see Republicans, so this is twofold. There's a celebrity aspect to this, and there's the public as- aspect to this. On the left, what you're told to be is just like Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell and Barack Obama. They all say great things. You know what I mean? They, they, they really care about people and workers, and then they vote to shut down a railroad strike. That's how they work. Mm-hmm. And as human beings, we're social animals. You know what I mean? We're looking at these people. We're looking at even people like Bernie Sanders, who I had the utmost level of respect for because he said all the right things, but that's what the establishment has allowed him to say it. You know, don't, don't participate in any forceful actions to disagree, but say it. What we've became comfortable with is this idea that the way the left gets change and it's because of the bastardization of what happened with them. Okay. The, the way the left gets changed is we say nice things and we, and we say them in kind, compassionate ways. We're, we're compassionate. MLK was a lot of things. A coward. He was not, mm-hmm. he was not unwilling to actually deal with stuff and be in people's faces. There is a condition. And, and a lot of people don't understand this. Like when, if you don't really comprehend the understanding of death, MLK was willing to die the day he woke up. And the next day he woke up, and the next day he woke up. There is a level of fear this instilled by the people who may kill a person like that when MLK speaks that level of severity and seriousness, like, my life doesn't matter, my words matter. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that the left has all the compassion of MLK without any of the bravery. And the point that I would kind of want to bring forward, and hopefully, again, I have, I, I can, I can be you know, (laughs) accused of rambling is simply this. I think that in America today, what the condition we are all, especially the American left, is so severely dealing with is the conception of celebrity. And what do I mean by this? We, like, I don't, 
know, um, let's say, Brad Pitt from, you know, him in a jack in a wall. But if I spend 12 hours watching a Brad Pitt marathon, I'm going to feel like I know him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Brad Pitt develops a condition where we feel like we know him. Dwayne The Rock Johnson creates this condition why we feel like we know I don't even get it personal. Emma Watson has created the condition where I feel like I know her mm-hmm. on a personal level to think that she may be a good person to, to the point that she may be honestly about change. Now, what does that do to everybody when we think about overthrowing the system or honestly, you know, talking about the system? I know that it, it, it was it was a hard criticism of me that, like, I never really thought I would date, date Emma Watson, but I also thought I had a little bit of a chance. You know what I mean? Just a little bit. I'm honest. Hopefully I'm a nice guy. You know what I mean? But I thought. I thought. Yeah, maybe. And, and then I didn't realize, that, like, her brand of feminism was just Hillary Clinton feminism. She's a full capitalist. How are you going to talk about, like, Freeing women when you're in exactly like hoarding wealth that is the major mechanism that use like wealthy men to manipulate younger women. It, 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 it's, it's nonsensical. And then your philosophy is nonsensical. The point that I want to bring up is I don't think that on the left we've really realized that one of the major mechanisms of the propaganda mechanism that we all deal with on a day-to-day basis is the celebrity condition. We have grown up with these people. Like, literally, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Everybody in America know, knows who he is. We all know, even Harry Potter, you know what I mean? Emma Watson. Every, I'm going to be honest, every freaking millennial male knows who Emma Watson. Flat the hell out. Our <laughs> entire condition about the nature of what is and what is reality includes Emma Watson. I'm not going to lie about it. I'm not going to front on it. You know what I mean? It's included. It's included. I look at the world. I know like, you know, sun and moon. Also, Emma Watson is a part of my thought process. I don't necessarily like it. And it's even a bigger bother to me because in the back of my mind, I'm studying this. Like, this is a huge problem. At the same time, I'm just like, yeah, man. I'm watching the like I don't I want to yell at myself a lot, but I think <laughs> I think that there is something important there is that we need to see what is in front of us. And I think that we've lost so much about what is actually in front of us. We're living in a system mm-hmm. that does not care about poor people on any degree, on any level. Black people were literal slaves, raped, murdered, genocide in this country. Light skin is hell, still black, but rape, murder, and genocide in this country. Right now, black people are still raped in prison and also made to work at 35 cent an hour jobs. And yet, Joe Biden's the savior of America. He's the moral standard. He was also the person that set up these conditions. Mm-hmm. We have no contact to basic systems of morality. And I think the concept, and and this is where I'm going with the celebrity element of it. We have so much comfortability with the concept of celebrity, that celebrity are kind of the basis of our comfort of society. Like, oh, if stuff was really bad, Taylor Swift would tell us about it. It's like, no. No, she wouldn't. If stuff was really, I mean, look at Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He's he's obviously a stand-up dude. Why look, is well, it look what happened with LeBron James? The second he started to say a kind of a correct thing, 
and do the NBA yep. strike over COVID Obama and you know the workers' rights of the people in the stadium and paid leave and all of that stuff, Barack Obama swooped in and shut it down. So like any, even if they do have goodness in their heart and all of that stuff, they are so easily derailed. And then if I, I'm going to take your point, if LeBron James changes course and says that thing to do is to go back and play ball and we all trust LeBron James and the same way that we trusted him to go on strike, he can lead us right back into the status quo. So I I take your point. And I I take your point. Now, first and foremost, I just want to say if Emma Watson is listening, please come and give this man a chance because I don't know if you're ever going to be loved by anybody the way that Sean from the debriefs call-in chat will love you. <laughs> Shoot your shot, Sean. Like from, from your lips to Emma Watson's ears. I've grown. I've grown as a person. I have to. I have to. I, I didn't want to admit it. It was the truth that I was just willing to ignore because, God damn it, man. Like, oh, the I, Hermione thirst is real. <laughs> right I, can't, I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. I have to be true to myself. I have to be true to myself. But. Okay. All right. Well, I, I don't think the door's all the way closed, Emma. Like, if you if you want to, if you want to, if you want to get in there, I suspect that you could work on Sean. <laughs> um, but to your substantive point, yeah, look, I, I make a lot of jokes and they're not like really jokes about how I wish that someone would give me Cardi B's number after the campaign and how I wish I could have kept her from endorsing Biden and how I, I wish I could keep her saying her truth because look, what you're saying, what you start off saying about MLK is true and the courage of his convictions and being willing to lose his life over it and how people don't have that same energy today. I think all of that is true. At the same time, he lost his life over it. I'm not entirely mad at people who learned that lesson from the 60s. Marianne Williamson says this all the time, that what happened to her generation was that they saw what happened to MLK and Malcolm X and Bobby Kennedy and JFK, and they were like, fuck it fine, I guess I'll just go work at this insurance company. You know, like they just, they got humbled and scared and they literally just like, we're going to kill everybody. Okay. We'll kill Fred Hampton. We'll firebomb. Like we'll do all the things. And I can't overcome that. I can't overcome, you know, the CIA putting a bullet in the back of my head or whatever. So like, I, I both agree with you and also want to, would want to have a more substantive conversation about what it looks like convincing people to be willing to, to give their life for something because that's not that's no, not I mean, nothing. I, no, it, it's it's like, and I think you're 100 percent accurate. It's not even a philosophy that you would even hear. I mean, I'll be honest. I don't even think that the vast majority of Americans, and I would no insult to the listeners. I've MLK is somebody I grasp my life off of, but the vast majority of people don't even understand the basic elements of MLK's philosophy, like America murdered MLK and then turned him into like a car commercial. Like MLK died to give us black people and white people the, the ability to, you know, experience capitalism and equal functions. Like, aren't you guys happy? And I think that the, the loss of actual reality and philosophy about what MLK actually said is completely gone. I mean, you know, Hugh P. Newton talked about revolutionary suicide, but even the very idea of giving your life, like literally, you know, we all have lives. We're all going to die at one point or another. It, it's a fact. You know what I mean? Unless Jesus comes back and 
deals with America, which I'm a little bit hoping for. But <laughs> <laughs> but we, we're all going to die. You know what I mean? And and the idea is very simple. Like you would dedicate yourself to a child, you dedicate yourself to a cause. And your life is a product of that cause. And your life is a element of that cause. And your death, if you look at stratagem or strategy in that particular viewpoint, you can accomplish vastly more than you could in a lot of different ways because the element of death is no longer a means towards the system can force you into submission, which is, which is, you know, fine and Danny, but you know, people got loved ones, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And and I want to say this because I'm not saying this is easy, but the fact that this has been from my actual engagement in the left and in, in organizing circle after organizing circle, this is not even, even a like side conversation or a side part of the conversation of philosophy that we talk about is kind of disturbing to me, not in the sense that I think everybody should be willing to die, but the fact that we don't understand that like death is coming. And if you read the climate reports, maybe sooner than you think. And so there should be, I mean, Sean, like I'm, I'm with you and I think you'll enjoy Thursday's episode as a consequence because it's one of these kind of climate um, episodes where we get into these kinds of themes. But I just, I just want to say like that, like getting people there is work. I don't think ideologically there's any argument, but you know, people want to, like, I feel like I'm saying I sound so stupid, but like people, people want to be alive. Yes. People no. Want to live? People, life, life, you know, is more than. This is maybe going to sound bad. I don't know. Life is something more than a collection of one's ideologies. Life is your relationships. Life is, um, kind of there's the the hedonistic aspect of it. There's pleasure. There's emotion <laughs> there's yeah. you're, you're not there's wrong. visceral animals and there's people want to live yes especially when things for so many people aren't that bad and that's that's the real issue that you know a lot most people don't feel like they're so on the precipice i mean they're they're willing to take the hit and take the sacrifice and take the fact that we don't have a living wage that goes up a, a, a minimum wage that goes up with inflation and realize that things are worse every year over year over year and they know it's bad but as long as it's good enough you're not going to have a tipping point that's I, the accelerationist argument you know i would i would agree with you on pretty much all of that besides one point I think that the basis to which people use as their like safety zone of comfort are ideas taught to them by dead people. Like, I'll give you a quick example. What what the hell is a tie? Oh my god, he's wearing it on his neck. Obviously, he's fancy and important. We're told these things as means of social identity, parameters, and engagement, but they're all cultural. I think the hardest thing that we're actually facing is the idea that maybe the things that we've been told for as long as we've been told them are just complete and utterly useless lies. And I think that's the, I mean, I think honestly, money's a lie. I've, I, 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 a few years ago, I spent like an insane amount of time actually looking at the functionality of money in America. And I'll just tell you, 
Um, Citibank has just as much as power as the Federal Reserve to magically create money out of thin air. We're not living in any economic system that is tied down to even a numbers on a spreadsheet, but people have a level of solace and connection to that. And I think that on an overall scale, that that solace of like, oh, this makes sense, is where the foundation of people's comfort lies. Because I think if, if, if people really, and I'll be honest with this, and I hope you understand where I'm going with this point, but mm-hmm. I think if people actually understood, like if the average American understood the financial conditions of banks and the American just financial system, if they actually understood it, I have a hard time believing that there would not be rice in the streets. And I, I, think so that- I think that there's something to that, which is, again, partly why I was so mad about the rail strike narrative. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when when you have, you know, God bless them, when you have Ryan saying, what do you want to do in the night, the, the 1926 Railway Labor Act? Impl- implying that it's not fully within Biden's power to veto any bill that didn't give the world workers what they wanted and effectively veto the night, the, the 1920s railway labor act, you are disguising the reality for the public. You're keeping them from knowing what you're saying about the banks being able to print money, what you're saying about these conditions, the possibility of these conditions being better. That's why I get so mad at the squad. That's why I get so mad at groups that endorse Biden. That's why I get so mad. Yes. And uh, your, your anger is legitimate. And I'll be honest here, and I'll let somebody else talk because I know what it feels like. But um, I, I, I do, and Bree, I just want to say we were together and forced the vote, but I was a little right. Like I, I set up a bunch of conditions. We got over five hundred people with four, four, like literally five hundred people with a ton of forms and a ton of stuff that like other stuff they wanted to work on. Um, I just wanted to say that like. I don't know if you remember me. There is a lot of bad talk about me, but it's just like I was the one dude trying to save it and moved on to work on, you know, uh, the March for Medicare for All. And again, I saw similar problems. And I just want to say this. And and, and you do have kind of a large audience. Um, the left needs to understand that, like, and this is what I understood. Well, I did not fully understand the force of the vote, which was honestly a beautiful group of people i i love everybody there there was a couple of people i disliked but you need to understand like i'm a firebrand with thousand percent you're gonna need people like me in any organization to tell the truth to not like literally care you know what i mean and if we're truthful enough you're gonna understand where we're gonna come from you can come to us you can ask us questions but we also need the people who are willing to do the actual work who understand what the what the structural conditions of the world currently is. And if that doesn't happen, if we continue this infighting over stupid shit and we don't learn how to talk or even argue with one another, I think that the problem is is that we're going to continue to silo ourselves to the point of just complete irrelevance because we need to understand who, where we're coming from and who we're talking to. And at the very end of the day, even if you're talking to somebody who's completely out of their mind, but holds their beliefs faithfully, uh, an ability to argue against a person who has faithful beliefs in a good way is vastly beneficial to you. Hello? Sean? Sean? 
Okay, I didn't do that. He cut off for me after siphoning yourself. Sorry. sorry. Oh, John? That was was the ad. Yeah, I would just say, uh, to to finish the point was that, like, even if you have, even you're dealing with people with bad arguments, if you engage with people in bad arguments who faithfully believe those bad arguments, we can all develop a system to deal with bad arguments. The right has talking points. The liberals have talking points. MSNBC, CNN, they all have talking points. The left is the only group of people I've ever seen try to organize that hasn't actually organized a, a, a ideology or philosophy well enough that can effectively argue against bad arguments against them. What I'm just arguing for is very simple. We, we need to be able to talk to people. We need to be able to engage with people. We need to be able to argue with people because if we don't, be, if we're not able to do that, we've effectively decided that we're not even going to work on the argument war, which is the only way you're going to change any society, any social condition. And yeah, Sean, it's hard for me to imagine anybody disagreeing with that. And I'm not sure what your, I don't know. I don't remember you from force of vote and I'm not sure what kind of antagonism exists there, but it sounds like I agree with everything that you've said. Um, and it was good talking to you tonight. Yeah, and and I I, I appreciate you, Bree. Actually, I really do appreciate you, Bree, for everything you do. You've, I've, I get like to the point where I listen to stupid people talk and argue, and I'm just like, why is nobody bringing up these points? You are the only respite I've had <laughs> where people are like, ah, there, there's this point. It's like, that's a great, oh, she brought it up. I, 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 I get cathartic, cathartic, Jesus, I don't know. Catharsis. Yes, yes. From that, from your interactions, and it's, it is greatly appreciated. And I greatly appreciate you holding this uh, call in and uh, letting me call in. So thank yeah, you very much. Yeah, of course. Thank, thank you for sharing with us. This has been great, Sean. All right, keep yeah. the faith. I shall. I'm Christian-ish, so. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. Okay, I saw that Jay was up higher before and then lost their place in line, so I'm going to pull up Jay. How are you doing, Jay? Hey, can you hear me? Loud and clear. Oh, shoot. Well, firstly, this is my first first call, and so it's like an absolute honor to to oh, speak with you. Gosh, I love that. I had a feeling. <laughs> I, I don't want people who are like longtime callers to feel like I'm biased against them. As you can see, I've been going to the front of the line and then to dealer's choice, front of the line, dealer's choice. But my dealer's choices, I'm definitely looking for new faces and a little gender parity when I can. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, Jay, well, you had a cat. I don't mean to stereotype a lot of cats <laughs> are women. It doesn't matter. I'm not disappointed because at least I got a new I got a new collar, so I'm winning. <laughs> well, I I am I'm really happy that the cat worked because you said that you'll click on a cat last time, and <laughs> I so I baited. made it a picture of a cat. Yeah, you were cat baited. <laughs> you definitely were cat baited. Um, All right, serves me right. So yeah, no. Um, <laughs> so I just wanted to, and I hope like nothing that I'm saying is just redundant. I'm sure I'm probably going to say some redundant things, but there's just so many different like really interesting opinions and really interesting like perspectives that have been said a couple things that flow through my mind that also like tie in to the last show um, or the last call in as well last show and call in about Kanye West and kind of America and how it treats anti-Semitism versus uh, anti-blackness mm-hmm. and whatnot um, but I think firstly kind of my thought with this show 
I guess the thought that kept creeping into my mind is that I don't think that there's a, I don't think that there is a productive way to organize around censorship and uncensorship or really organize around anything that affects super real change on a platform like Twitter, particularly because Twitter functions on kind of, in, well, in my opinion, kind of the notion of recuperation uh, within a capitalist system. So kind of this notion that, you know, things like posting, spreading information, outrage are highly profitable, um, particularly because it drives high engagement. Mm. And I think that platforms, social media platforms are quite an intelligent leg of capital in terms of turning things that can be leftist into things that just end up serving capital mm-hmm. and, ser- and serving conservatism. Um, I think a really good example is this whole Kanye West debacle. Um, one of the things that I was thinking about, and forgive me, I have ADHD, so if I go on a tangent. Relatable. <laughs> I think I think, you know, thinking about back to, you know, the Kanye West example, right? Um, Twitter doesn't, you know, not Twitter, uh, media capital doesn't care about anti-blackness, but it also doesn't care about anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. Like it, it doesn't, mm-hmm. um, it selectively engage, it selectively chooses what to proliferate in order to drive engagement. So for example, in this case, Kanye West, who I think is going through a bout of mania, like mm-hmm. he said, he's bipolar. I think he's in a manic episode. In my um, experience, when people go through, when certain people sometimes go through manic episodes, they can say, they can just say things that don't necessarily make sense or may or may not necessarily be what their idea is. Not to say that that's not what Kanye West thinks, because I also think that he is coming from a very genuine place. But I think that when a celebrity you know, speaking to our, our the last caller, when a celebrity uh, has kind of this platform and this access to media, um, media selectively decides to engage with that celebrity if they drive engagement. So, you know, back to the topic of like anti-Semitism, anti-blackness, if media or establishment really cared about anti-Semitism, Jay-Z would be probably on his ass because he said plenty of things about Jews. Like if he, Oh, really? Like in songs or just out in the world? I mean, not like, that there's a difference, but I'm just curious <laughs> like what the context is for this. Like, for example, on uh, OJ, on the, the, the OJ song, um, he said, like, why do Jews own, like, most of real estate? Because they have good credit. And it's like, oh, you know, that wasn't really amplified. That was kind of... Oh, this was a recent. <laughs> this was on that recent. Wasn't for this. This was a recent album. It was a recent album. This was from 2017. And and, and that's the only example I can think of from the uh, in the forefront of my mind. But I mean, 
celebrities and politicians have said things about Jews all the time. I think America and establishment is very much, they're very protective about anti-Israel, but not necessarily anti, anti-Semitism. It just, I think that social media picks and chooses when to raise those issues to the forefront because they can drive, because they can drive engagement. And I think kind of that recuperation could probably be applied to a lot of aspects of the Black Lives Matter movement as well, because that was a time where media and establishment provided an aesthetic of caring about black lives while really doing not too much about it. Not saying the movement, but establishment in response to the movement and establishment in cooperation with some parts of the movement. Um, yeah. Sorry. No, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, no. So that but was really, yeah. that, that was really mo- mostly it. And the other thing was just kind of like with the, the, com- the kind of the, the conversation about, you know, you have somebody who was trans who committed a crime, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm of the opinion that in a capitalist society, you have, minorities are forced to market their own injustices and therefore to market it similar to how companies or corporate entities market their products. And so when something happens to a social group that is under the same market influences and it kind of blemishes the image of that social group, then it, fun- it, it follows market dynamics. And I think that a lot of the issues with the left and how the left responds to, to some of these situations they're responding almost corp- almost in terms of PR management. It just seems very, it seems very PR-y to me. And it's kind of like, instead of saying, well, you know, this trans person raped somebody. It's like, well, yeah, this person raped somebody. She happens to be trans. Yeah, I mean, totally. But here, here's the other thing. Have you been following the, the thing about the Biden official from the P- Department of Transportation? Who's also trans and stole a bunch of luggage from the airport? Yeah, I, I, I have not. I mean, I haven't been following it either. But so it was, it was suggested as a segment on Rising. And I was like, are we talking about this because people think it's funny that, a, you know, someone who looks unconventional with you know, in a gender-bending way with a shaved head and lipstick on, you know, in a mix of masculine and feminine qualities. Mm-hmm committed a crime and also is in Buddha judge's department and is a liberal. Like, is that the reason the story is of note or are we covering it because it's newsworthy for a Biden official to have gone on a crime spree? And if we can cover this in a way that, I mean, it is, it is bizarre and ridiculous that, a, you know, a not insignificantly ranked official in the department of transportation would waltz into airports and steal people's luggage. I mean, that's hilarious. <laughs> Yeah. But like, I was like, can we, are you covering this? I, I need the answer from you. Are we covering this because you, you want to join in on the pylon because people just think this person looks funny. Mm-hmm. And like, you have to be honest, like a big part of the right wing coverage here is that like this person presents in an atypical way and they should be punished for it. Right. And if we can't divide those things out, then I'd rather not talk about it because it's not important. There's things going on in the world. But it's tough. It's the, it's the, it, to me, it's like the same as an echo of the same issue. I don't know. Like people's people's ambivalence about the ability to separate those things 
makes them not want to investigate the trans student that's been accused of a crime. It, you know, yeah. it made me not want to cover the story at all because I'm like, it's not worth the hassle. I could maybe cover it with another leftist, but I didn't want right. to be in the room. I didn't want to be in that environment, in that context, trying to like second guess everything that came out of Robbie's mouth. And that's not necessarily fair to Robbie either. Right. So, you know, we ended up not covering it. Robbie, you know, nobody pushed it. But like, so let's let go back to your point, original point about Kanye, though. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, this dog really wants to step on my soundboard. Sit, sit, <laughs> sit. Don't, don't look at me like that. Sit. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Okay, just don't walk on the soundboard, though. Just settle down. Go over there. Okay. Um, you can come around here and I'll pet you, but, like, not on the soundboard. All right. Okay. All right. Down. Down. Um, he... I, I agree with you that there is an extent to which the media cycle and the interest in the respective stories has to do with like the public appetite for different kinds of stories. Mm-hmm. So, for example, in the black media sphere, Kanye's statements about Sylvia being a choice were very known and reported on and covered and everyone talked about it. Like, mm-hmm. I think, you know, I don't know, generational differences and whatnot, but 60s percent, 70 percent of black people, like black people knew that that happened. Mm-hmm. I would guess 10% of white people knew that that happened, maybe. Right. So that's to say that there is a market for it, but the perception, at least, is that the market doesn't extend beyond a black audience. And right. maybe, and this is what we're talking about in the episode, maybe that has something to do with the public's interest in anti-black racism mm-hmm. versus anti-Semitism. But I also think that, like, I don't think it's purely this, like, public interest aspect of it. I do think, and this is what I was trying to get across with Mark. It's like there's this argument that says, well, if black people cared more about Kanye, they could have canceled Kanye. And you can't be mad at, you know, at Kanye being canceled for anti-Semitism but not anti-blackness if black people weren't willing to hold him account. I'm like, I don't, I don't know that there was some, like, big uprising and uproar of white people to cancel Kanye over the anti-Semitism. Kanye got canceled by not white people or Jewish people. He got canceled by Adidas <laughs> and J.P. Morgan. Right. I don't own Adidas or J.P. Morgan. I don't control what money Kanye gets. I don't even buy Kanye albums or Kanye merchandise. I have no control over that man in his life. And neither do millions of other black people who also don't own Adidas or Kanye's paychecks or any, you know... Yeah, there are a very small number of people in the world, point blank, period, who have the power to exert that kind of control over Kanye West. And that's why he was acting out because he felt like he was above reproach. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I I'm not saying that I disagree with you. Like, I do think that there is some public interest aspect to how the story gets covered and how how long the legs of the story are, as as, as evidenced by the fact that even though I think that black people were genuinely very upset about the whole uh, slavery is a choice business. Right. You you can only like we know we know what it's like to try to pitch certain kinds of black interest stories, and like I do think there's a there is a there's a smaller appetite for that stuff. Yeah. Look at Brittany Griner. Like hmm. that was almost <laughs> almost not covered until you know what I mean. Like, well, I I think where maybe I I disagree. Wait, sorry, I don't I didn't mean to interrupt you. If I no, go ahead, you're good. I think where I maybe. Maybe I'm not disagreeing, um, but I, I think I may be disagreeing is I think 
that media control. I think that capital controls the appetite more than the appetite controls capital. Capital controls the appetite more than the appetite controls capital. So, so I think that media companies, whether it be social media, traditional media, they, and I think, I think this is more of a demand supply versus demand kind of thought process, even in general. I think that, you know, our corporate entities in our country dictate demand more than we give them credit for. So I think Mm -hmm. like, if we go back to school, we think of like supply and demand and we're taught, Hey, there's a demand for something. So companies have to supply it. But what I think we don't get taught until we go to something like say business school, or we start working is that companies actually market demand into existence. In quite in, in a lot of cases. And I think when it comes to things like social media, or you think about things like, and I'm not as informed, so I don't want to like bring it up, but without knowing it all, but I, but I'm just going on vibes, LOL, <laughs> the Twitter files. Uh, I think if you think about algorithms and kind of how social media like works and amplifies certain things. And how easy it can be to kind of get stuck in echo chambers of your own opinions, mm-hmm. especially with things that are like recommended and whatnot. I think that social media, I think that media, and I think that capital tends to market demand into existence. And I think that this also applies to things like ideology, things like what we see on the media, what we see on social media, and then it creates that appetite. So what I what I think, for example, with 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 anti-blackness is that I think that media creates anti-blackness when they feel like it strategically, it makes sense for engagement, and then it will it will then market into demand other antis like anti-trans when it makes sense for engagement. And I mean, again, these are things that have been, that have been around for a very long time and people hold these beliefs regardless of what's being dictated at the moment. I just think that it, that the amplification of these things, I think that, 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 that these, these entities amplify and then dictate that that appetite into existence. I think that people kind of really took a step back and really thought about our mutual interests. Or when people are exposed to media that, and I mean, this is such a duh thing, when people are exposed to media that actually takes a step back and like puts all of our interests together, uh, specifically as like working class people for the most part, then that's when people start to like, at least for me, and I don't want to, I, I don't mean to extrapolate to everybody, but I know for me, I didn't start to empathize with others and people who were like uh, uh, from diverse backgrounds, even as a black person, mm-hmm. until I understood our working class kind of common, common ground. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's, 
I think that's right. I guess can you just connect the final yep. connect the final loop for me? I mean, so what is so what is that what does that mean generally what does that mean for this situation with Kanye would you know, yes, I, I think that that is right, that there is like a give and take chicken and the egg situation between yeah. what we are interested in as a society and what we are advertised to be interested interested in. I also think there's probably limits to what advertising can accomplish. And there's some things that are kind of organic and unpredictable. I think that there's a push and pull there, but mm-hmm. certainly there's a lot of propaganda and that we've internalized a lot of stuff as our genuine interest, but it's really been propagandized. Mm-hmm. So, so what do you, what do you do with that? What, what is your conclusion with all of that? Well, you know, maybe, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I think, I mean, if I'm thinking like just, if I'm thinking off the top of my head, and I don't know if this all relates, but I think the first thing is like, in terms of the questions that we ask, I think it's like, for me, for me, my first question when I saw that, you know, Kanye West said these things and they were edited out of Drink Champs and then they were leaked. Like, why was this leaked? Like, first off, why did you guys have the episode? Secondly, why did you edit this out? And thirdly, if you did edit this out, why did you leak it? Because to me, that, that whole thing looks like a way to drive engagement, mm-hmm. then drive more engagement, but retain plausible deniability. Mm-hmm. Then the second thing is like, which these are questions that you have been asking and that a lot of people on the left have been asking like, okay, so now you have this guy, he might be going through some shit. Why is media amplifying it? I remember, I remember you talking about Piers Morgan, mm-hmm. <laughs> like his, his interview with Piers Morgan. Well, why is media amplifying it? Because really, right now, media is amplifying anti-Semitism. So why are you guys, why, why are you guys amplifying this? Like, why, are we, why is Kanye a guest? We all know that he had a bad take. Some people don't, but most people do. It's not really a conversation to be had for them outside of the fact that all it does is drive viewership for them. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the second piece of it. And then the third piece of it, I think, is to look at and organize, look at and organize along more working class lines. So, and that's kind of a vague statement. So I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily have a plan for that, right? But sure. you know, if I look at say the rail strike, or the various strikes that are going on, these are people who are saying, okay, we're going to put aside our differences because you know, most of, the, most of those strikes are probably going to be amongst a diverse amount of people who have diverse opinions and diverse needs. Hey, like, yeah, there should be more of that. It, but, but, but again, it's, it's vague and I, I admit, I don't really have, uh, yeah, no, I think that's right. I think that is a, you know, a tried and true takeaway. I think you, you started talking about celebrity and you the implication is that yep. they're, you know, they're, their, their existence or their intervention in these political spaces is antithetical to those goals. And yeah. I think oftentimes it can be a, for the reasons we described. I don't think it's necessarily a necessity to the extent that maybe you think it is. And I could be wrong. But I think given how captured everybody is, given how, um, like the earlier um, 
speaker was saying about how much he loves Martin Luther King and he wishes people would have more courage of their convictions and will people stand up? Well, part of why people don't stand up is because they have a lot of lose up till death as well. That's true. People have their jobs threatened. I don't think all of these people who work for MSNBC and CNN are like bad people. A lot Absolutely of them just not. feel like this is the game that has to be played, et cetera, et cetera. I've got so many friends who work in corporate America that work for all these institutions. The earlier caller who's like my socialist friend works for <laughs> a corporatist Congress member. Everyone's caught up. <laughs> You know, yeah. in capitalism, it is what it is. But some people are less vulnerable to losing stuff. And unfortunately, I mean, look at Elon Musk. He's got his entire ass hanging out very publicly, and he can do what he wants still because he's the richest man in the world. So, <laughs> or I guess not anymore, but whatever. And Kanye, you know, he was like acting out and saying his truth as awful as it was mm -hmm. because he thought he was rich and above reproach. And he mostly is. I mean, honestly, he lost his contract, but like, he's fine. He's like, fine. Nothing bad is going to happen to him. Yeah. So, um, I think that people who have that kind of flexibility, you know, if I'm an independent journalist, if I can survive independently and keep reporting on the way I do, I think that's my obligation. If right. Cardi B has millions of dollars from selling records and her and her kids and her kids, kids are all going to be fine. Well, then maybe I would like to encourage her to, sp to speak out, not in a way that maybe is going to get her killed, but at very least in a way that's going to make it very irritating for Joe Biden as he tries to run in 2024. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm like deeply naive about this. And if you haven't listened, you should go back and listen to the Boots Riley episode where we kind of move mm -hmm. this a little bit. And I, mm -hmm. I really enjoyed talking to him about it. But mm -hmm. and I've also talked about this with um, Cornel West because, you know, he's like such a music guy and. You know, I, I can't help when you're as desperate as we are, I can't help but think that we're going to have like this Hail Mary pass in the form of all of these relatively independent rich celebrities who are not part mm -hmm. of the political system and who have a degree of independence because of their wealth and fame to just go hard in the paint for us in a way that could not create a revolution, but at least help provide a tipping point, you know, help, help help expose the extent to which we're being propagandized, help expose the extent to which as an earlier caller was talking about, there are real fixes in real time, even in the mm -hmm. institutional framework we're in right now. And that those are being kept from us and we're being lied to about how much better the world could be even mm -hmm. without like a radical change to our economic system, you know, mm -hmm. and, and they could do, I mean, hypothetically they could be a part of that. So I don't know. May, tell me if you think I'm deeply naive and still holding out some I, hope that they no. can be can, can, contributors no, there quite quite the opposite i don't think you're deeply naive i think it's like just a super auspicious situation right it's just a shitty situation because mm. it's like so i just i i i think and this might be a naive, naive notion i think that celebrities ultimately are more likely like like i think they're more likely to have, I think they're almost equally, I don't know if it's more likely, but almost equally likely to have something bad happen to them if they actually start speaking out in ways that actually really, really affect the underlying, like ch affect change to the underlying condition of capital, right? Um, I think they're, I think they're almost equally as likely because they're significantly their voice is significantly more dangerous to capital should they want to speak out um and i think right now in our market system like cancel culture is a way to kind of filter those voices out 
right? Everybody's said something in the past or many people have said something in the past that we can just dig up um, or have done something. Everybody has skeletons in the closet that we can just dig up. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's probably, but I don't think you're being naive. I think, I think you're being super realistic. It's like, well, you know, how, how do we affect change? How do, it, it's, and you're, and you're right. Even though I might disagree with you on some points, it's, it's just a very difficult, it's just a very difficult thing. Um, yeah. outside of, outside of like, you know, well, outside of like re- revolution, <laughs> Well, that's, I mean, other yeah. are mutually exclusive, so I think that would, that would be the goal. But look, thank you so much for calling in, Jay. I'm glad you. You, were, you managed to get in. First time caller. Love that. Really, really appreciate it. All right. Keep the faith. All right. Take care. Um, I know I should come back to, I guess I can't. I can't mess up the order. Okay. Lysol, can we make this kind of quick? I want to be fully out of here at 11. How are you doing, Lysol? Not bad. Um, I wanted to clarify a quick thing from last time. I definitely wasn't the person complaining about y'all getting messy. I love messy. (laughs) And I think you kind of buried the lead. If it's not taking too long. Um, hi to the dog. Hi. How are you doing? Oh, I'm just babysitting. Oh, okay. (laughs) But you know, he says hi. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, I can't remember if I've recommended this person before, but as, as I was listening to the column today and where it felt like we kept coming back to just kind of like, what the fuck is going on inside Elon Musk's head? Seemed to be kind of like a consistent theme of like the first hour or so. Mm. There's there's a guy called Douglas Rushkoff, and he wrote a book called Survival of the Richest, Escape Fantasies of the Tech Billionaires. Mm. And it's it's based on a question. He's like a futurist and media theorist, and he he wrote a he wrote a book called Throwing Rocks to the Google Bus. And he has this uh he wrote a story in 2018 based on a, a meeting he had with like five uh, hedge fund billionaires who were basically asking him kind of like questions along the lines of like, once money's worthless, how do we pay our security forces or should we just get robots? Mm. Mm. And I think he might be a good, uh, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and make a safe assumption that Elon's going to be cladding himself for the next month or two. So this could be like later on, but I, I would put him, if you could on the suggestion list, uh, Douglas Rushkoff. I think he'd be okay. a good, a good take on all the stuff that's going on with Elon right now. Cool. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Um, other than that, just I, I wanted to like plus one what the uh, the the guest was saying about um, sex workers in terms of you know being on the front lines of censorship stuff like mm-hmm. I mean if we're talking about debanking and stuff, it's really mm-hmm. kind of um, and sometimes an intersection with the trans community although not not necessarily but there's a, a strike that's been going on in North Hollywood I think now they got they all got fired and it's turned into a boycott. Of, um, it's a strippers union, I believe. Yeah, we no. interviewed them months ago on Rising. Wait a minute, let me see if I can find this. Go ahead, though. I'm sorry. No, that was it. I was just in terms of like, I feel like they're they're an, an, inter- an interesting intersection that could go like a number of ways in terms of like an interview. Yeah, that's that's a good point. It wasn't. It, they were an interesting interview. I think we interviewed um two of the dancers and like maybe their lawyer or something like that it was a big panel i remember let me see if i can find it yeah it was six months ago um and i've been meaning to follow up to see what was going on there but you're saying that they went on strike yeah they've been on strike since march and they still have a pretty heavy presence i think negotiations ended with them i mean i don't know if it's technically a lockout or not but the last thing i saw is like you know like we're no longer in negotiations with them so now we're just boycotting them 
Oh, interesting. Okay, thanks for reminding me to follow up with them. Yeah. All um, right. Well, thanks. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, Sorry, I meant to cut you off. Oh, um, just I'm I'm still working on that idea for um, you know, organizing outside of politics. I'm currently thinking about a reality show called "Who's the Biggest Leftist." And we just kind of like, we do the tongue in cheek, like, this is not about, I mean, the idea is to, to sidestep um, electability entirely and just focus on developing a raw number of people who support a candidate and then kind of slip it in. So like, this isn't, this isn't about getting elected at all. And um, all the contestants would have to have as kind of a doubt payment, a picture that would traditionally, you know, pre-Trump would have gotten them canceled and unable to become president, a picture of them with like a line of coke in front of them or just like drunk off their ass, you know, oncologists and like that. All the pictures that luckily I got to miss because camera phones became a thing maybe like junior year of college for me. So mm-hmm. a lot of not sloppiness out there, but I'm sure I can find one. <laughs> the big who's the biggest leftist? I feel like just by sheer mass, it might be Vigo Mortensen. <laughs> <laughs> well, just kind of like the way like the way like RuPaul isn't a, it's not a show about drag. It's a show that has enter- entertaining challenges that introduce people to the world of drag. This is like, you know, like we'd, we could have debate elements, but just kind of like it'd be an entertainment product. Because I feel like to the extent that people can be hammered with the nonfiction, they may have reached their satiety point, maybe like 2017-ish. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like finding more creative, don't look up style ways to like frame it in a different different perspective so people can see it versus telling them to read Baudrillard. Yeah, my, <laughs> I, you know how I feel about I saw I saw a tweet today. Um, I didn't know how to retweet it because it's very specific to this audience, <laughs> like not my broader Twitter audience. But it was something like someone said that they were in a philosophy class or maybe their philosophy PhD or something, and they were saying that they had a rule among her friends that when they debated something, when they had a philosophical debate, they weren't allowed to use the names of philosophers or the like the name of the theory associated with the philosopher. So basically, you just have to explain yourself. You can't just say, oh, the Kantian blah, blah, blah. You just have to explain yourself. And I was like, yes, that's all I want. I'm not saying that you can't learn from these things and be informed by these things. But there's a way that you become, like, completely opaque when you just speak in those terms to everyone who hasn't had the background that you have. And do you want to be accessible as a leftist or do you not? So... Um, that's a good fork i mean you'd either get with somebody who would patiently explain all of marx's das capital to you over the course of an hour and a half or it'd be like a two-minute conversation (laughs) (laughs) but explain it to me like i'm five yeah but the thing is if you i think that what people will discover is that nothing is not that novel i'm sorry like my mom and and i shouldn't bring her into this i'm not trying to be an (laughs) asshole but like let me know. I'm going to sound really um, like a Philistine. I'm just saying that my I am not some I haven't taken a ton of philosophy classes and I'm not the most learned person in the world. But my obligatory college philosophy course, I felt like did not. I wasn't I would say I was introduced less to new ideas then forced to memorize names to stick on those ideas. Hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it's like the kind of things that humans think about because we think about our condition. And the point of the class was just to tie some dead guy's name to it and be able to recite it on a test, which was not what I was looking for in a philosophy class. I thought we were actually going to think about things and that like novel insight was going to be rewarded. 
And that's not what it was about. It's like art history back in the day. They made you like memorize the artist and the date of the painting. And like you, it was like rote memorization. And these days and more contemporary art history classes, as I recall, we had to memorize like a decade. You had to get within the decade, like get within 10 years um, of when the painting was painted. And it was much more like the, 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 the exams were much more about more, much more substantive. And there's been this pivot in education as the internet becomes a bigger part of our lives. That is just not like, who cares about memorizing facts? That's not as what's important as, you know, being able to apply your knowledge and understand things and be able to have analytical skills and those kinds of things. So all I'm saying is the analysis aspect, which is what I was looking forward to was great, but I was less, I don't know. I was like underwhelmed on some level on a content basis. I don't know how to say that without sounding like such an asshole. <laughs> I wasn't that impressed by these philosophers. I don't know. It just felt <laughs> like it was very human, you know, but it was, it was just like really, yeah, like we think about this. I don't know. I sound like an asshole, so I'm going to stop. Anyway, um, I also agree with your point about my mom's always saying, Brianna, I think that at the end of the day, you're just going to have to write a screenplay or something because people are tired about tired of all of this like news and podcast stuff at a certain point and like, they have to reach a new audience. And I'm with her. I think there's a lot of potential there. Um, but I don't see when I'm going to find the hours in the day. Speaking of, you guys know I got to wake up in the morn. I appreciate all of you. You guys have all been great callers. Keep the faith. See you on Thursday. Wish I was a lion in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot in a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars, scats. I wish I had a million dollars I wish I had a million albums I wish I had a million problems That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes I wish I found a genie lamp I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man yeah. I wish I was a comedian Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land I wish this well had water in it These kids are stealing all my pennies Focused on my wealth you can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish that every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we do it, it feels just like this.